0: This program is sponsored by Wilsey Asset Management.
1: Welcome to your commercial-free, uninterrupted investment show. Sponsored by the SEC-registered investment firm, Wilsey Asset Management, a fiduciary firm owned and operated by President Brent Wilsey, who has been putting clients' investment needs first for over 40 years. The Smart Investing Show has been giving unbiased financial information for over 27 years on local radio stations right here in San Diego providing you with fundamental analysis on stocks and investments you want to know about. Now, here are your hosts, Brent and Chase Woolsey. Well, good morning and welcome to the Smart Investing Show. I am Brent Woolsey, and thank you for joining us this morning. I have been doing the Smart Investing Show for on local radio here for, gosh, 28 years now. If you have investment questions or want a fundamental analysis of a stock you own or looking at buying, selling, or holding, please call in at 866 866- Again, that's 866-577-2473. That unbiased, no strings attached, fundamental opinion about what you want to talk about. Chase, good morning. Good morning. I received a message on social media this morning from Eric saying he's driving to Arizona, I think he said Phoenix or something, and he's going to be listening to the show. And uh, so it's so nice that we know what people are doing and they call in and let us know what's going on.
2: I know, yeah. It's it's good to know that uh, people are listening.
1: Coming really close to our listeners and we appreciate you know what's going on. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Uh-oh, we got a problem here,
1: Brendan? Okay, we're good? We're good? Okay. <laughs> he whispered. We're good. We're good. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, we got a lot of things to talk about here uh, before we get to your calls. Uh, Let's start off, and I know this is a popular topic, and and the two sides are really extreme. Uh, I'm talking about Bitcoin because I continue to hear that Bitcoin keeps going up in price because why? There's a limited supply of it. But I I asked the question, there's a lot of other cryptocurrencies. What makes Bitcoin the special cryptocurrency? And what prevents someone from saying, "Ah, I don't think Bitcoin's a hot one anymore, what if the crowd shifts over to Ethereum? Is that another Ethereum, one? Ethereum, yeah, okay. yeah. I can't even pronounce some of these names. Dogecoin. coin. Doge.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's a, it's an interesting thing, and you know, you're so right. What, what's really driving this higher? I think is, well, it's the best cryptocurrency because it's the most expensive cryptocurrency. Yeah. That's why it's like, well, it's more expensive because it's better. Why well, is it better? Because it's more expensive. Duh. <laughs> you know, best, best. I, I just don't get it, and I mean. I, you know, we, we have it on Facebook and people, are, well, you just don't get it. You're right. I don't get it. <laughs> there, there's nothing there that makes any fundamental sense when you look at the purpose of it. I mean, there's no real purpose to it. I, I, I just. And nobody can explain to me what the purpose is.
1: Well, and then they say, you just don't get it. Exactly. Well, explain it to me. Well, because of this going on, the big companies getting and so forth. You know, the big I,
2: banks, you know, yeah. everybody hates the big. Great. <laughs> they're not a bank.
1: But when I see big banks and big companies getting into it, what I get afraid of is they're coming in. They're going to burn the little guy. They're going to take the profits, sell out, and the little guy's going to be left there.
2: What happened? You know, so I don't I it, Well, I mean, I, somebody commented on my Facebook the other day saying, yeah, but, you know, at least Bitcoin doesn't take, you know, thousand percent like banks do on loans or something. And I <laughs> I, I, I didn't even reply back, to be honest, but uh, I might later. But uh, you, you think about it, it's like, well, that's because Bitcoin's not a lender. Right. And, and I've said before, if, you know, I'm not saying this is going to happen, but if, if Bitcoin becomes the new currency, well, banks aren't going to go away. Banks are just going to start lending Bitcoin. Because if we don't have a lender in the market, that is a big problem. You can't get rid of banks. I'm sorry. Yeah. You need mortgages. You need things like credit cards. You need auto loans. You business need loans. debt in yeah. life. Yeah. Like <laughs> you exactly. need that. Yeah. That generates more capital to be able to invest in a different places. You know, if you started a business, let's say, and you can't get capital anywhere, that's a problem. Right. You know, most people can't go buy a million dollar home in cash or right. in cryptocurrency. You need to have that lender in there. So it doesn't displace a bank. It just makes no sense. Right. And,
1: and actually people say, oh, yeah, but it's going to be placed, you know, the, the dollar and so forth. I don't understand why that would happen. I mean, the dollar, again, is backed by the taxing authority of the government. What backs, I almost said a bad word here, what backs
2: Bitcoin? Just I, people buying it. That's it. Yeah. And also, too, I mean, talking about lending, what is our federal government supposed to do if they can't issue treasuries, that's a big problem. Yeah. And that, that's not going to work. And then also you talk about, you know, I've seen people say, well, it's it's going to be nice because it'll be a global currency. <laughs> and I challenge people to think about this as well. What ha- and, and the problem is I think a lot of people don't understand economics. What happens when your economy goes into recession? Your currency gets devalued against. I, and you're talking about another country. Yes, yes. Canada. So like let's compare the dollar to the euro. Right. The eurozone is not doing well, let's say. What generally happens? Well, now the euro is going to fall in price. What does that do? It makes their goods more attractive in Europe. So now you can kind of help get that country or that economy going again because now you can drive up their exports in theory. Well, if everybody has the same currency, there's not going to be that fluctuation between different economies and their currencies to really show that strength is who's doing well.
1: Thinking out loud here, uh, wasn't there a currency that they tried in Europe that actually is failing because they tried to unite? Oh, the, the euro? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's like, that didn't work very well it's just in that section of the world. You're going to make the whole world a glo- global common. No. It's
2: not going to happen. happen. And I mean, yeah. people people knock the Fed and say it's terrible and stuff. And, you know, oh, they're just printing money. Well, if we can't do that? That's going to be a problem as well. Yeah. I mean, the, they like this idea of the decentralized currency, but if it's decentralized, there's no way to really help out economies. I mean, if we went into a recession, let's say here, mm-hmm. you need to kind of print money and to stimulate the economy, increase the money supply. If we're all on Bitcoin, oh, sorry, we, we mined it all right. out. Bitcoin <laughs> prices continue to rise, let's say. Oh, gosh, you are going, people talk about a wealth gap ooh, we're going to have a major, major wealth gap if we weren't able to kind of, I don't want to say manipulate the currency, but kind of provide more in terms of supply. And I mean, the Fed has a very important role, and the Fed is a very complicated institution. And I think a lot of times people say, you don't get it. I say, you don't get it. You don't get You it. don't get the <laughs> Fed. You don't get the dollar. You don't get the global economy. I think there'd be a lot of problems if we just went to a single currency across the globe.
1: And I remember when the uh, Greek debacle happened, uh, the Great Recession and so forth, and, and the Europe did not do well because they did not have a centralized uh, place like, the, like, the, the, like D.C. with the Fed. The Fed could control things. But if you've got Italy saying one thing, Germany saying another thing, you've got nobody calling the shots. It doesn't work. And the same thing with cryptocurrency. You can't have this, oh, this global currency is going to be so great. You're in la-la land. That's not how
2: the world works. Wake up. And we'll we'll talk about different fiscal policies as right. well. You know, if you're you're kind of taxing heavier here, giving more benefits here. Again, if you can't borrow in terms of dollars as a government or borrow yeah. in terms of Chinese yuan, well, there's gonna be an issue. How how do you generate kind of federal stimulus there? Right. I mean, <laughs> I tell you right now, if we had Bitcoin, I don't think we'd be able to do that <laughs> stimulus package last year.
1: Bitcoin or this again, new one we're doing. Uh-oh. No idea where it could go. We could go to 100000 go to a million dollars. Who knows what it's going to go at, but it's not going to be here forever. And
2: someone, a lot of people, are going to get burnt on Bitcoin. And last thing I'll say about it is if it does become an actual currency, there's going to be no excitement around it because you can't have it moving 20% yeah. in a single day to actually transact goods. It's like, oh, I'm going to buy this house for, you know, five Bitcoin. Oh, actually, nope, sorry, price moved. I'm going to need six Bitcoin now. <laughs> that's not going to be a, a viable solution. And once you start to lose that volatility in it, mm-hmm. people aren't going to be excited about Bitcoin. Who cares? Yeah. You know, well, yeah, now it's stable. So why would I want to invest in it? It's not very exciting.
1: Yeah. You know, and people that like Bitcoin, we got to move on here, but people yeah. that like Bitcoin, look into it. Find out the most important thing about a currency is stability. And you don't get that in Bitcoin. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. Let's move on to uh general electric had a surprise last week. And, uh, we have been recommending a sell on GE. People call in about it. doesn't look that strong and so forth. But today, uh, i got to give up all hope that it would come back because they announced an 8-for-1 reverse stock split, which in my opinion could be a death warning. Uh, the stock was down over 6% when it first came out uh, around 13 I think I did see it create around 12 I think yesterday. Uh, but reverse splits, they're, they're engineering that I don't like.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, it's... It's always kind of an issue when, again, a company starts to artificially move the stock price because there's a difference between stock buybacks mm-hmm. and stock splits. You know When you're, you're buying back stock or you're issuing new stock, what that actually is is it's generating capital or increasing ownership in the business. When you're doing stock splits or reverse stock splits, all you're doing is saying, well, no, if you have, let's just make it easy, you have one share. Now we're going to give you 10 shares. Or on the opposite side, you know, if you have ten shares, it's like, well, we're going to take away your ten shares, mm-hmm. and now give you one share, and it doesn't increase. Let's say your hundred dollars that you have invested, in it. you still have a hundred dollars invested out of it. Yeah. it's just the share, the uh, the amount of shares you own changes. So it's really kind of financial engineering, and that always is a major concern. And, and you pair that with the fact that they do still have a large debt of over seventy five billion dollars. And there's still plenty of problems that continue to plague this company.
1: You know, I did look up uh, that uh, hedge fund um, that was actually, said there's accounting issues and so forth. It was like a long thing I was gonna show it to you. I didn't get a chance to. It's like 10 pages long about what was going on with that. I'm not convinced that it's still going on, but he brought up some very good points about, because they, their long-term care insurance, how that's accounted for. There's another long-term care company that's been devastated by this because good thing, people are living longer but if you're a uh, long-term care specialist, I'm sorry, it's going to cost you more money, and you could actually be losing money because of people are living too long on the long-term care side. So that's what he was talking about the accounting side. They were not accounting properly for that. So don't know where that stands. I think it could still be out there. But so many things. They do have a good CEO. Larry Culp was a good CEO. But I still don't like what they're doing. And we had a good conversation in the office saying that I think it's 50 60% of companies that usually go uh, –
2: bankrupt have done the reverse splits, but you did bring up a good
1: point, which I want you to share with the audience as well.
2: Yeah. A lot of times these reverse splits, and, and that's why I was so shocked that GE was doing reverse, but most of the time it's these companies that are penny stocks, you mm-hmm. know, or they've just been decimated in terms of their share price and they need to actually,
1: and, and that's just a penny stock, but two to $5, uh, very low price. Not,
2: yeah. Uh, yeah not, not actual pennies. Right. Yeah. Cause there are requirements <laughs> to actually be listed on the New York stock exchange, so if you fall below i think it was a dollar i think they may have adjusted that recently but but we'll just use the dollar for for today's intents and purposes well now oh my gosh let's just do a reverse stock split so we can continue to meet that requirement to be listed on new york stock exchange that generally is the type of company that, that's doing a reverse stock split so that kind of keeps them alive but many of those companies are not fundamentally sound so they end up going bankrupt anyways so A lot of times these big companies, when they do reverse stocks, I'm like, I just, I don't get it. Um, I don't know if it's a mental type thing um, for shareholders, especially people that held GE at 30. Is it going to make them feel better that now it's at a higher price than 30, (laughs) even though you still (laughs) lost money on it? I, I, I don't know. Maybe that's it. The other thing as well is a lot of times, you know, maybe institutional investors don't like to own things that are under $10 a share. But I don't know why they wouldn't have just done the the stock split a couple of years ago then. Yeah, yeah. Uh, reverse uh, stock split. Good
1: point. Maybe may Larry Culp thought of that, the CEO. But um, and, and the thing too that I wonder, and do you think that these because institutional investors, I'm gonna say most of them are very much into the fundamentals. Yeah. Because they're, they're really concerned about the business and so forth. Do you think they're fooling them saying, okay, look at it, now it's a hundred dollars a share. Yeah. Oh, great. <laughs> No, I think they can figure that out. That, Wait
2: a minute. You tricked me.
1: <laughs> you, you took away all my shares and gave me uh, eight shares at a, at a higher price. or took away my eight shares. So. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I mean, I, the business just worries me. As I said, they have $75 billion in debt. I think they still have too many business units. I think Colp yeah. is doing a good job trying to thin out the business and, and make it run more efficiently. But it's a tough task. I mean, their debt to equity is still over 200%. They may have some capital type businesses in there, which may alter that a little bit, but their debt level is still high. I know they did sell an uh, aerospace type mm-hmm. business here recently, I think to a company in Ireland, um, which should be used to help pay off some debt. But the problem is you sell assets that does still reduce your assets on the balance sheet. Yeah. You can pay off some debt, but your debt to equity is not going, it's not going to be like, oh, $25 billion in debt paid off. That's full $25 billion in debt paid off. No, you lost the assets on the other side. So it, it's not really a full offset there so that's a concern for me and i think if they continue to sell off businesses they might just get too thin where <laughs> they're not fundamentally an exciting right. company anymore all they got left like okay we're selling light bulbs yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so,
1: and that is a concern and i've often wondered too like okay so if you sell a business and you get a great price for it well you should have kept that business because that could have got you out of the hole down the road But if you sell a bad business, well, somebody else can say, like, well, wait, we're buying this business. We can turn it around. So the selling the business things is a short-term solution, but it's not a long-term solution. And GE's been around for a long time. I mean, I remember my grandmother had GE. I had two shares of uh, of GE stock, and it was like, wow, this is so great. Um, And it did this constant growth, growth up and up. And, you know, I think every four or five years, go to 120, split back down 60. Long history of GE, but unfortunately you can't, count on that that's not the foundation you have to look at what's going on now and it just to me it doesn't look good i would not recommend holding ge and i and i wish them all the best i never want anybody to go bankrupt but i would not feel
2: comfortable telling my clients
1: yeah let's hold on to ge i think we'll do fine
2: yeah i i think i would get out of it yeah yeah Yeah. i i I think it it could do okay but i mean it it has gone from about six dollars a share up to about 13 dollars a share Mm -hmm. I don't know how much room is left in it. I mean, you look at the estimates going forward. There, There's not many analysts that are too hot on their earnings going forward, right. which which is a problem. Yeah. 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 Maybe uh, GE doesn't stand for General Electric. Maybe it stands for good to exit. Yeah. yeah. Could be. <laughs> I did want to bring up real quick, sure. uh, kind of interesting. Jason uh, did ask on Facebook, is there ever a good reason for a reverse split? Um, to be honest, not really that I can think of. I, I will say Citigroup and AA. AIG did do reverse splits during the financial crisis, but I don't really know if they'd be in any different spot if they yeah. did a reverse split. I, I I don't I can't think of one, and there may be one. I can't
1: think of why you would do that because especially when we look at it, we look at we're buying a business. I don't care if that stock is ten dollars or a hundred dollars. I want to look at the the balance sheet. I want to look at the income, the cash flow. So to me, I don't care what the price of stock is. It's just going to be different amount of shares we, we, we buy. So the reverse split to me, no benefit, just trying to fool people. Yeah,
2: because, I mean, as you said, you look at <coughs> it on a per sh- share basis. So now if you do a reverse split, well, now it's the, the company still has the same amount of earnings. It's just split among a different yeah. group of people or amount of people. It, it's not changing what your your real ownership is worth in terms of the business. So yeah. answer yeah. the question? No, not, no. not I that I can think of. Yeah.
1: Could be one, but I can't think of one. So- all right, so let's move on to uh, debt and interest rates, because this is something that uh, you know, I looked at, like, wow, this is a different way to look at it. For the year 2019, the new supply of issued treasury debt was 990 billion dollars. In the year 2020, it had increased to 1.7 trillion, and I'm going to ask you the question. I know you know the answer,
2: but what is the number that's going to come out or expected
1: to be in 2021?
2: It's scary. Yeah. $2.8 trillion is the estimated amount for 2021, and you know we, we have seen this stimulus now pass. There's there's talk now of an infrastructure deal, and the problem is we need infrastructure. I'm not going to get into the political side of the infrastructure that we need and the infrastructure that's being proposed, but we do know that's supposedly another few trillion dollars that we're just going to toss around, so I, I'm worried that that number could be even higher yeah. if we keep spending and spending
1: and I think the uh, the debt was up to 28 trillion so I don't think I included this yet so that's gonna add another one point was it 1.9 yeah. yeah yeah we'll just call it two trillion so now we are gonna be at 30 trillion you do the infrastructure now 31 trillion the thing and there's a lot of money in the economy I'm telling people I'm not worried about you know our businesses I'm not worried we'll talk about the jolt report next um, what I'm worried about is that people are not realizing there will be a time that we gotta pay some of this back not all of it but we got to start paying that back, and that—that's why I, I was—and I was thinking today when I was driving over here, when when the <clears throat> uh, administration and the congressman, and the senate—I won't pick on who did, who didn't. Did they not look at the JOLTS report, which is job opening labor turnover survey, and see that there is how many jobs openings were there? Uh, I'll let you do the numbers because I kind of lost my place here. <laughs> uh, oh, in January there were 6.92 million jobs opening, which beat the estimate of 6.7 million. Why in the world would you give extra money on the unemployment to keep people off going to jobs, when there's so many jobs out there, we need to get the economy going, and give other people, you know, what is that, $1,400? What are they thinking? I
2: mean, I don't get political, but
1: look at the numbers. There's a lot of job openings now.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's I, I don't know what to say. <laughs> I, I'm, I I agree. But, uh, you know, it is what it is, and the $1.9 trillion, it, it's it's done. So... Can't really go back and fix it. I mean, the the big issue you look at, though, is now that we have all this debt in the economy. And, and what I'm going to say here as well, kind of is ahead of the other point I wanted to bring up, but when you look at the future, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of people don't think about consequences. I think they just think, oh, we'll just do this. And it's like, well, did we think about what's going to happen down the road when we do this? I, I think the answer is no. I think a lot of people don't think down the road. Well, now, as you mentioned, about $30 trillion in debt. I'm not thrilled about $30 trillion in debt, but it's, it's manageable. We, it's not going to, oh, my gosh, this is a disaster. But you start to think again about <clears throat> what are you going to get to, $50 trillion in debt? And then the problem becomes, let's say we get to $50 trillion in debt. Well, now I don't think interest rates are going to be as low as they are. We've seen them start to climb. Right. Well, now all of a sudden that $50 trillion worth of debt, you're almost having to issue more debt just to pay off the interest on that debt. <laughs> so it's kind of like this self-fulfilling prophecy of, oh my gosh, we can't afford all this debt, so need we, now we need more debt. And it's just, it's like accruing, it's not as bad, obviously, because the interest rates are not as high, it's like a person accruing credit card debt, where all of a sudden it's like, you can't get out of the hole because you're so deep in interest. Right. And the federal government's never going to have to borrow at 20% interest. <laughs> well, actually, that's not true. They did. Several years ago, I, in I the, do remember the 80s. I yeah. think
1: uh, 30 year treasuries were, I believe, around 14 to 15 percent. If you were smart enough to lock that in, <laughs> man, that was a great, great financial move uh, for you then. Uh, but the whole reason why I kind of brought that up, which I kind of got off track, going to the Joel Street and so forth, uh, was because as they issue more debt, they also have to increase the interest rates because, again, y- you've got to create that demand. And if the demand's not there, the only way to do it is, okay, well, we got to raise the rates. And that's why it's another problem that you're issuing more debt. The only way to get more people to buy that debt is raise the rates on
2: it. And that's a problem. Yeah, I mean, kind of to break that down simply, of course, let's say there's $2 trillion worth of 10-year notes out there. Well, you know, there might be $1 trillion worth of people saying, yeah, I feel pretty good about buying it at 1.6%. But then there's another $1 trillion where it's like, well, nobody wants that one trillion dollars. So as you said, well, now the interest rate will start to climb, and it's like, well, now it's at 1.7 percent. Uh, maybe get another 200 billion. billion. Uh, nope. Still, there's another eight hundred billion dollars worth out there that doesn't want that. So the interest rate has to continue to climb. Because don't forget, bonds and their interest rates, they have an inverse correlation there. So the bond price actually declines as interest rates go up. I mean, think about when you go to like sh- shopping, go to the supermarket. Mm-hmm. Generally, when they have an oversupply, they have to discount things to get people to buy them. Same thing with a bond. The bond price has to go down, which means as the interest rates goes up <laughs> if nobody wants to buy them. So you know, I'm concerned about interest rates continuing to climb, which I think, again, is going to continue to hurt these growth stocks because the demand may not be there at these current interest rate levels. And the other thing I'm going to bring up here, too, right now, the Fed is still in a kind of easing-type scenario. Yeah where they are buying these treasuries. What happens when we start to get inflation and the Fed's like, "Well, we got inflation now, we're at full employment, you know, we don't need to buy these any longer." I'll tell you the Fed is the largest buyer, I believe, of these treasuries. That's right. If yeah. they stop buying them, there's a huge wipeout in demand and we still have this huge supply of treasuries which is not going to be beneficial to interest rates. And, and that would
1: be a real problem going forward because you're right. Then they, they got to raise interest rates more. And then think about it. I, I've, been in, I've been managing money for 40 years. I do not know one person that has bought a 30-year bond, not even a 10-year Treasury note. P- people don't buy them. Who buys them are institutions like pension plans that they have to have a set amount down the road, have it guaranteed, uh, hit the screen. <laughs> uh, and it's it's guaranteed. So the the market for that is not that big. And again, if you're you're issuing more and more, and the market says we have plenty of guaranteed securities going forward, uh, they they got to raise rates,
2: and that could be a dramatic raise, which could really be hurtful. So and 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 the scary thing is, we don't really know what this environment looks like. I mean, what what do you mean? When's the last time we've had rising interest rates, like uh, actually rising interest rates? Right. You know, we've been—I mean, you talk about the '80s. That's when we saw interest rates as high as 15%. Yep. Uh, we've been on a downward trajectory <laughs> since the '80s. A lot of money managers have not even seen rising interest rates, so that's why it's so important to look back at history and <coughs> understand well, what happens. You know, what is the possibility? And people that say 15%, there's no way we ever get there. I'm not going to say it's out of the question. right? Maybe I'm not saying, of course, (laughs) over the next five years I see that happening. But maybe over the next 20 to 30 years, that's a a real possibility where we could see the 10-year note again above 10%. And I'm not saying there's a 90% chance that happens, but there is a possibility. You need to be ready for that because people in retirement, I said 20 years. Medicine's advancing. You're retiring at 60. You'd be 80, 85. You could still see that. If you have too many bonds in your portfolio, oh, my God gosh that is going to be a nightmare for many of those people
1: well even short term I'm more worried about it because again uh, as you see rates rise and people get their statements it's like wait a minute I I'm losing money here in my bonds I guess Brent and Chase were right I should be out of that so it could create where more people sell the more people sell the more, more they supply go. more supply <laughs> yeah. so so uh, again that's what we've been saying for the past at least year uh, and I we've not I've not bought a bond in the portfolio since uh, 2007 because the fact that I I want to get at least a 4 to 5% yield on 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 my fixed income. Yeah. Uh and, and again there is another one we'll buy and I'm, we're way over time here. Uh we got to get the calls, but it's just like I think people are going to wake up and say I want to get out of these bonds and yep. call the broker, call Charles Schwab, whoever. And it's like you know,
2: get me out of this because I, I I've lost money. But you're not keeping up with inflation too, right? And it's your purchasing power's declining. It, it's it, it could be a whole mess.
1: Yeah, that's why we try to stay ahead of the curve of what's going to happen. Again, people are so happy. I call clients now like, oh yeah, I'm so happy. Oh, this is they don't realize what were, the reason why we're doing so well now is what we planned on 12, 24 months ago and right now we're looking at where we're going to be not not tomorrow we, we know where we're going to be tomorrow now we're, we're doing well but what's going to happen in 2022 2023 and that's why we do well managing money cuz we're not thinking about like some people have such a short time horizon yeah. and that's why they they don't do well yeah. so you've got to think ahead and again we talked about staying away from fixed income you know years ago and
2: now the time has come and i uh, got well, change. And it's cause it is interesting cuz since I've been on board actually about six years ago, we've been anti-fixed income, yep. and interest rates have continued to decline. Mm-hmm. But I can tell you, equities have still far outpaced oh, fixed yeah. income, even though <laughs> it's like fixed income's done okay over the last six years. Uh, it's still comparatively not done well at all, right So and it's going to only get worse is what and, we believe. And we talk about uh, uh, you know
1: companies we have in the portfolio and we talked about the, I think last week about companies how they increase their dividends. And the industry that yeah. so we have some uh, equities in our portfolio where the people are getting a 10, 12, 14% yield. Well, if you did buy, you know, a Treasury or fixed income four or five years ago, it probably locked in maybe four percent. Yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> we're earning 10 or 12. Yeah. <laughs> so already uh phone numbers here, 866-577-2473. That's eight six six 577-2473, I see John and Coronado there. I think he knows about when we end, so he can call in as soon as we're done with our commentary there. John, you're on The Smart Investor, Brent Chase, how can we help you Yeah, guys, I always like to be in the pole position up there. I know, you, so, you know um, about when we were ready to go. How <laughs> <laughs> can we help you
3: I actually started my investment career back in the, uh, the late 70s when I was in college. I actually took my student loans and invested them in money market accounts at Charles Schwab that were paying twenty one percent.
1: Oh. Now so. <laughs> but you didn't buy the thirty year treasury, John. You should have got the thirty year nope. treasury. <laughs> <laughs> but no,
3: it, it, it was a great play because you could borrow money at seven percent and then arbitrage it and make fourteen percent on yep. your money. Yeah. It's yep. a great a great play. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no being a bondholder that's just that's that's just just, I, I can't imagine people taking and putting, doing 60, 40 old with 60% equities, 40% bonds. It's I, such a losing strategy and, in and today's John,
1: world. And John, I hate to say it, we see new clients come in and that's their portfolio. It's terrible.
2: Well, there's that and also yeah. kind of... I'm a little off topic here. I'm not sure what you want to talk about, John, because I can't see the <laughs> screen. But uh, <laughs> I, I, I think about a lot of these target date funds and a lot of these robo-advisors. Yep, yep. People go do these and it's like, oh, well, you know, the management fees are so low. And it's like all these robo-advisors do is they put you in what's your risk tolerance. Okay, so it's just a cookie cutter thing where it's like, oh, okay, you're 60 years old. Boom, 60-40 split and you're in bonds. So I think there's this simplicity idea on Wall Street right now to drive up fees for Wall Street. And I think it's just slamming a lot of people into bonds, which I think people are going to wake up a few years and be like, "What is this portfolio doing?"
1: And, and John, I got to right. mention too, I'm going to take a little bit of your time, but we'll give you the full time as <laughs> always do. But we are seeing other people, like, well, you know, talking to some clients or their kids and so forth. Oh, your portfolio is too risky, and they they want to go to another broker. And the broker, what do they want to do? Oh, we need to put more in, into fixed income. You've got to be kidding me I mean what are these brokers well, thinking you know and it just yeah I just had to bring it up because right now when he talks with somebody like that that's a, a large account the parents are like in their 80s and the son is thinking oh we need to get them into bonds
2: yeah <laughs> food company that's not risky no. <laughs> yeah.
1: okay, John, take, you know okay uh, John it's, it's, it, it,
3: it, it, it's really a bad strategy but uh, the, the stock I was calling on is MasterCard
1: oh okay now I know you hold it you probably held it for a long time right Yep. Alrighty.
3: Yep. I, yeah. Mastercard, Visa, uh, American Express. I, I, you know, I've, I've held them all for a long time, and uh, I like that theme of recurring payments,
1: recurring revenue. Yep. Yep. And I, I don't see that changing going forward. I kind of, uh, one thing with our disciplines. I saw this in the beginning. We could have got Visa, and I, I snoozed, so I lost on that one. But now they're just so expensive. But l- let's take a look at the numbers here to see what they stand. Coming again is MasterCard, symbol as M-A. Uh, we do see the P-E ratio, as I said, very high, 60 versus 21.4. We do see price of sales, 25 versus 2.5. That's like 10 times. Uh, unfortunately, no price attainable tangible book value versus 3.3 for the industry. And price of cash flow, also expensive, 54 versus 9.4. Now you get a dividend, but gosh, it's only 0.5%. And surprisingly, they used 26% of the earnings to pay that out. Um, I'm surprised by that number, the, the low dividend and the high payout ratio for that low dividend. Now, here's another surprise. Their sales are down year-over-year year 9.4%, industry down 7.4%. Their earnings did fall by 19.5% year-over-year, year, industry down 26%. Uh, their balance sheet, I'm not sure if they're not the financial structuring for the balance sheet, but we got a current ratio of 1.6 versus 1.2. That's okay. But debt to equity is 198 versus 209. But I don't know if that's mixed in some borrowings. I'm not familiar with how their balance sheet looks on on a Mastercard. But I would want to make sure that's not a true debt of 198%. That would worry me. Return on equity, wow, 104 versus 12. That's telling me they have a very low equity. I'll check that when Chase looking at the numbers going forward. We do see net profit margin, very good, 41.9 versus 12.1. Those are the fees you're talking about. you got to love those. Receivable turnover is 3.1 versus 1.8. Chase, what about the
2: earnings going forward? Yeah, so current price here for MasterCard, $382.71. 52-week high, $389.50. And 52-week low, $199.99. So it just briefly fell below that $200 mark. But looking out to December 2022, I do see estimated earnings per share of $10.39. Unfortunately, it would give us a target sale price of just $172.47. So it's very expensive. I know they've done very well um, in terms of their business and kind of becoming uh, you know, very profitable, obviously. But I do worry. There, there's been talk that they're too profitable. You know, these these, yep. these card companies, there's a, pretty much a duopoly there with Visa and MasterCard. And, Yes, American Express and Discover kind of in there, but Visa and MasterCard do control a large part of the market. And, you know, I know a lot of merchants kind of complain about the fees that they charge and how they think they're too high and so forth. So I, I, I don't know. That is something I'm concerned about. I think maybe yeah, I, we don't like to look at it from this perspective, but there might be a little bit more momentum left in the stock mm-hmm. as the economy continues to reopen. Of course, more people will be swiping their credit card in theory, which should be give them a little bit more momentum. But I I do worry about where this company will be in a few years once we think the economy is a little bit more stable and not explosive.
1: And two things I'm thinking here is that uh, they get paid off the fees, the banks get paid off the interest. Now, if rates are rising, which again, interest rates on credit cards are already pretty high, Will they stop using the cards? The other thing, too, what about all these other programs um, your younger guys use? Oh, like Venmo. Venmo, like and there's a couple other ones as well. Square Cash. Yes, yes. That's going to take business away from, from MasterCard and Visa. Um, Apple Pay, uh, the same thing? Apple Pay, yeah. Apple Pay, yeah. Well, so the,
2: uh, Apple Cash. They Apple have Cash. Have like, yeah, because Apple Pay, yeah. you still use your phone, your phone. to put your Red. cards in there, and Visa and MasterCard are still the credit card. But do they get? They must split the fee though with Apple or something. Something. Yeah, ideal. Apple may get a, a portion of the fee right. there. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure on that split. So,
1: so I guess what I'm kind of thinking out loud here for you, John, is that there could be a reduced market going forward for them because they get nothing off the interest on the balances. They only get off the transaction fees. If the mm-hmm. things are changing to where younger people are not saying, "I'm going to use, I'm going to use a credit card. I'm going to use Venmo. I'm going to use uh, these other cash, you know, Square Cash, whatever Chase called it, and so forth." That could be what stops these because the government has tried to change this and they just find another way to do it. But I think the market could be changing where the younger generation is not going to use this as much. So if you start seeing those sales start to decline or those transaction fees start to decline, that could be the end. Not the end. I mean, they'll still be around. But the, the decline of the stock based on fees going down. I can't tell you when that's going to happen, but I think it will happen.
2: Yeah, the only thing I disagree with on that is the uh, fact that – the cash app and uh, Venmo is more like a um, debit card. Mm -hmm. So it's not like credit. You can't ever really, you know, put it on credit and pay it off. It is a, you know, transaction from your bank Mm -hmm. account. So it's more like a debit card. I think they also do get fees from debit card transactions as well since Visa. I don't know if MasterCard has debit cards. I know Visa does. That's where mine is. But I think they get those transactions. I'm more worried about those transaction fees and maybe a changing industry as well, as Brent brought up, what's the future gonna hold? Yeah, so,
1: yeah, I mean, just just kinda be aware of that it's not gonna be, uh, and my fiance said something last night, she goes, oh, uh, Louis Vuitton purses go up all the time. And I go, nothing goes up all the time. And the same thing with these credit card companies, yes, I got the transaction fees, but I, I do feel that things will change, and it's not gonna keep going up. So, and I know you're a long-term investor, John, but but be, be careful there. All ready?
3: All right. We'll do, guys. Thanks right. again.
1: All right. You're welcome. Bye-bye. All right. That does open the phone line, 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. We, we took a long time with John, but a lot of different things. We got to income, doing. and yeah. income. I,
2: I always I love the business of those visas and MasterCards. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, everybody – as a Visa or a MasterCard, right. likely, because even, in the, as I said, the debit cards are generally Visa. Right. Um, and I think MasterCard has debit cards. I, I just haven't seen one. So yeah. I, I don't like debit cards as part of the problem. Right. Um, but, you know, it's great business. I just, I think it's a problem going forward. And, right. you know, it's a great business now, but how much better can it get, I guess, is, is the way I would phrase it.
1: And again, you said that I, ha- and I think I have seen the debit cards, the, the symbol, MasterCard, or Visa yeah. and so forth. But again, you're that. Well, how much is that business that they're making from MasterCard and, and Visa? Because Venmo can definitely take that away. Yeah. These other ones. And I think there's more to come. I, I, I just feel that the credit card and I can't tell you when, two years, five years, ten years, I think it's going to be looking differently. And I think people will be doing things differently. Uh, and, and, again, not that you and I are the only ones that pay off our credit cards, but I, I we try to encourage more people, get the cash, get the rewards, but pay that credit card off every yeah. month, you know, so. But.
2: Yeah, and I, I, I always tell people, too, is it's hard, but you generally want to sell things when things are good and it's hard to sell it on the emotions because, like, oh, it's done so well right. and it's so exciting because this is happening and, you know, they're doing such a good job. Yeah, generally, that's when you, you want to sell it. I mean, we, we had... You know, a home builder we sold in the right. portfolio. Things are really good for home builders right, right. now. But you know what? It, it, it's what's going to happen down the road because you don't want to be stuck holding it. Because all of a sudden, things can flip on a dime where it's like, oh, my gosh, things are, are not great anymore. And I can tell you the stock price falls very, very quickly when you start to get inklings of right. things starting to turn for the wrong side. And,
1: and here's another thing that investors like John need to think about. What if the economy does slow down? And what if credit card companies say, you know what, we can't afford to give you that 1% cash back. We can't afford to give you the, the airline miles any longer. They take that away. I know if they take that away, I'm not going to use my credit card. What, no, what's the, the point? point. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So so that could be another factor that, again, who knows that's going to happen, but I've seen it. That's one thing that kind of worries me, like my, 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 my uh, Marriott reward company. Why do they take away all those points? And I've seen that happen on different things. I can't think of an example, but stuff like that does happen. Especially when business, well, should we talk about Netflix? I know that was one of our things, but I know we got Harrison waiting by. But Netflix, how they're kind of becoming smart, saying, wait a minute, you got to be in the household to be uh, getting our Netflix.
2: And actually living in the house. So even though I'm your son, I can't use your Netflix account because we don't live in the same house. So your immediate household, I think they call it. So it's, yeah, I don't know. I mean, businesses have to adapt to different environments. And, you know. Visa and MasterCard have different relationships with different banks and stuff, obviously, but relationships can always change. Yeah, and,
1: and generally they get about a 3%, I think, uh, fee on that, that credit card. Uh, they're, they're right now giving, depending on the credit card, 1% to 1.5% of that, about almost half, to rewards and so forth. What if they say, hey, yeah, you know, things are just too tight. we, we, we got to cut back. we got to cut back on that reward. Um, I would stop using my credit card. What's the
2: point? Yeah, so, I know. So I, There is no point. You're just putting yourself at risk for for getting a payment and having 19% interest. (laughs) (laughs) All right.
1: Uh, Let's go to our uh, financial planner, our CFP, Harrison Johnson. Good morning, Harrison. How are you doing this morning?
4: Good morning, guys. Doing well. How are you guys doing?
1: Good, good. Well, it's tax time, and today we're talking about the COVID uh, distributions we're taking in 2020. Uh, Some things on there you want to discuss with us, so so let's go ahead and tell our listeners about that.
4: Absolutely. So today, I wanted to talk about tax reporting for coronavirus-related distributions. So last year in 2020, if your health or your finances were impacted by COVID-19, you are allowed to withdraw up to $100,000 from a retirement account, um, avoid the 10% pre-withdrawal penalty. Um, You could spread that tax on that distribution over three years, and the entire tax could be avoided if you returned that money or that would to the account within three years uh, from when you took it. So that was something that was allowed last year, but now is the time that we have to report this, because all you're going to get if you took a distribution from your retirement account is a 1099 showing what the withdrawal amount was. Um, if you're doing your own taxes or if you have a CPA doing your taxes or an enrolled agent or whatever, um, you have to be on the same page about how to treat that, because, again, there are different ways to to go about it. So. Last year, some of my clients and I used this as a tool, and I'm going to go through some examples, but you have to be very careful because whenever you're withdrawing money for retirement, that's supposed to be for your retirement. So you can't just withdraw this and treat it as a a savings account um, because you want some cash. You have to make sure that there's a plan to repay that um, and a plan to avoid any penalties or taxes if that's what you're trying to do. So last year a lot of people were refinancing. And so sometimes in order to qualify for that refinance, you have to show a certain amount of income. So what we would do is we would use these COVID related distributions for people who would qualify for it, would draw money for a few months in order for them to qualify for the refi, and then we could just put that money all back in their account. They got the refi in place and they didn't pay any taxes or penalties on the withdrawal. So that's one example. And if you did that, you have to make sure now that you're reporting that that is Um, recorded correctly and you're not paying taxes on those distributions. Um, Another example, we had some people that needed to pay off some credit card debt. So we took a small distribution from some retirement accounts, paid that off. Now they're no longer paying interest on those credit cards. So those payments and the interest they were putting toward credit cards, they can now put back into their retirement account and avoid taxes and penalties and interest on that. Um, We had another example of someone who accidentally took two indirect rollovers from a retirement account within a 12-month period, which usually when that happens, the second one is taxable and has a 10% penalty, but we were able to treat that as a COVID-related distribution. So now we can completely avoid the taxes and penalties on that and complete the rollover. Um, also, we had some people who were basically just in retirement. They were withdrawing money for our um, from IRA, so that money was taxable. But last year just happened to be a really high tax year, and since they qualify for these distributions, all the money that they took for their IRA, we're just going to spread that out of three out of. We're going to spread that over the next three years, as opposed to having that all in one year when they had a bunch of other um, unusual large uh, tax impacts that year as well. So um, it's something that you definitely want to be aware of now that we're getting ready to file taxes.
1: And Harrison, what I'm hearing is that this is very complex, a lot of room for error. I'm hearing that people could overpay their taxes because they didn't know what they were doing. Is that what I'm hearing, that this, this is a complex issue?
4: It, that's exactly why I wanted to bring it up, because just because you do something a couple months ago, um, you have to make sure that you follow through with it now, because if it's not treated correctly now, uh You, it might go unnoticed if you're not that familiar with taxes. Your CPA might not be on the same page. Um, If you catch it, you might have to amend your taxes, which uh, is a hassle to deal with. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of moving parts here, and it's very important that it all uh, works together.
1: And what's also so important, too, is I want people to understand, I mean, you're our financial planner for Wilson Asset Management. This is why this is all that you do, because I don't understand how these guys can be a financial planner, do the investments and still have this much involvement in, in things like you're talking about. It, I, I mean, this is all you do. You have no time to look at the investments. You're doing so many different things for your clients that are financial planning clients.
4: Yeah. And I, I think there, there's probably a lot of financial planners out there that wouldn't want to touch something like this because it is kind of a risky move to make because again, we're dealing with withdrawing retirement funds and there's, it has to be done just right. But I spend so much time with my clients and understanding their situations and everything where I can walk them through this make sure it happens the right way and so I'm confident that we're all on the same page and again if it's used correctly this can be a great tool for people
1: and and also too, you have a very good relationship when you need to with their tax person their CPA so you can work together and understand what their CPA is talking about and I'll say I don't know what he's talking about. Either. That's his job. <laughs> yeah.
4: yeah, that's that's exactly right. That So a lot of times I'll have to have conversations with them and say, this is what we did. This is what we're thinking. This is how we're going to do it. Um, this is how it should be reported because there's a lot of CPAs out there that, you know, they want to collect the W-2s and 1099s and report it. But if there's not the, the strong flow of communication between them and their clients, then there, um, in some cases, can be some lost information. Right.
1: And I'm sure clients, CPAs, they love when they see a Harrison Johnson. They're like, wow, this guy's nobody's talking about. He's not just selling them some mutual funds. Well, (laughs) that happens also
4: sometimes I butt heads with them because I'll say this needs to happen and they'll say, no, that shouldn't happen. But so sometimes we <laughs> butt heads because of that. But it's always because I, I spend so much time with my clients where I, I know that certain things should happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and so sometimes I have to prove that to the CPAs who are filing their taxes.
1: Yeah. And also, too, you're looking at their whole financial picture where the accountant or the CPA is just trying to look at just the tax side. So you're trying to get them over to your side, like look at the client, you know. So yeah, that's, that's
4: exactly right.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, Harrison, thank you very much. As always, great information. Uh, you have a good weekend. We'll see you Monday morning.
3: Thanks,
1: guys. We'll see you Monday. Okay. Bye-bye. Uh, again, as Harrison Johnson, our CPA. Uh, no, CPA. C- I'm C- sorry. C- C- F- CFP. <laughs> CFP. Get those letters mixed up there. CFP. Uh, I stand behind him 100%. He's been with us for years now. He does a great job for our clients. If you have that financial planner that just doesn't seem to have the knowledge that Harrison has, give him a call at the office. 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306 and the first consultation is free. And, you know, Chase, I've been kind of thinking, should we even give? because some people think, oh, all financial planners are same. What a mistake that is. Yeah. I was even thinking like, should we give somebody something, and again, we'll talk about this, to go see him, to test out, because again, he 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 does like what nobody else has ever done, and people say, oh, I have a financial planner. I, when they say that, I know he's not as good as Harrison. Yeah. I stand behind him 100%.
2: Oh, absolutely, I mean, it's, it's unique in the industry just because, you know, it's a lot deeper of a dive. As you said, a lot of times people can't manage a portfolio properly unless they're just doing, uh, as you talked about earlier, oh, 60% in stong- stocks, 40% yeah. in bonds. Okay, maybe you can be a financial planner then, but then your investments are really lacking and not doing well. Uh, and then generally those guys charge a management fee on the portfolio, uh, which drives higher costs actually for not getting great investment advice. And then they do the financial planning outside. So Harrison just charges a fee for the financial planning, and it's I, I'm gonna say the best financial plan that I that I've seen around. And right. we've had people come from other financial planners It's like my guy didn't do that. Yeah. So
1: inv- and he did the investments. He doesn't know what you guys are on investments. I mean, there's no way that one person can do what we do on the investment side and what Harrison does on the financial planning side because they are two separate things. And, again, he's on the salary. He's he's not biased. He's not going to try to sell you life insurance or annuity. And I've seen that for years. That's what they do many times. Oh, I'm a financial planner. Yeah, let me sell you some life insurance. Yeah. <laughs> and, again, sometimes you need it, sometimes you don't. Phone number is 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. Two four seven three. Uh, should we go back to Facebook or go to Facebook? I don't think we take anything on Facebook yet.
2: Yeah, we can go to Facebook.
1: Right, I still got a couple there. Should we, uh, I guess Susan wants talks about uh, AT and T. Should we look at AT and T?
2: Yeah, I'm always curious on AT and T. You know, it, we look at it from time to time because it's a popular mm-hmm. company. So uh, yeah, let's take a look at AT and T. Yeah,
1: it's in the back of my mind. Should we look at it? You know, buying that and so forth. So I'm kind of glad to look at uh, AT and T Incorporated. Their symbol is T.
2: And I did want to say Susan does mention uh, she does hold it. Uh, it's been steady but no growth should she stay or should she sell and i think actually the stock
1: i believe has actually declined over the last year because that's why we got it in that because i think it was higher and i think it has been declining so that's it's been right
2: moving around and moving jumping yeah, around a little bit okay
1: well yeah. let's take a look at the at and symbol is t uh unfortunately no pe ratio versus 19.9 for the industry price of sales looks good 1.2 versus 1.9 No price to book value, but that's the same as the industry. We know that AT&T is back on the buying spree of buying these companies, which adds a lot of goodwill to the balance sheet. Uh, Price of cash flow looks expensive, 8.7 versus 6. So not thrilled on the valuation ratios. You do get a 7% dividend, which is very attractive sounding. However, uh, the payout ratio is not material. They don't have the earnings to pay that dividend, so that kind of worries me a little bit. We'll talk more going forward. Uh, their sales are down 5.2% year over year versus 07 for the industry. Wow, earnings fell by 140% when the industry is up 26%. The balance sheet doesn't look too bad. Current ratio 0.8 versus 1.1. Debt to equity 97 versus 253. And I believe over the years, ATT has reduced that, that uh, debt that they have, which we like seeing that. Uh, return on equity is a negative 3.1 versus a positive 18.9. Net profit margin, 2.2 negative versus a positive, 9.5. And receivable turnover is 7.4 versus 7.2. What do you got for the earnings going forward, Chase?
2: Yeah, so current price here for ATT is $29.81. So that 52-week high, as we discussed, $34.61. So it has fallen off there, and it's off the 52-week low of $2,608. And I feel like it's just been hovering around 30 for the last few years now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but looking out to December 2022, I do see estimated earnings per share of $3.25 would give us a nice target sell price of $53.95. So this is the thing we've kind of been struggling with on AT&T. The target sell price looks good. The debt used to look horrendous. I mm-hmm. think they've done a good job kind of getting that back on track. But there's so many intangible assets that if they have a major write down that debt to equity could be a major problem again. It's such a complicated business right now after the acquisition of Time Warner, uh, but I do like the acquisition of Time Warner. I think it gives them kind of a play into the future, so to speak, with streaming and and different uh, kind of content that they can provide and, you know, just kind of throwing it out there like a a bundled-type solution essentially with your phone and and HBO Max. You know, they have control over that.
1: And and I just, looking at their debt, uh, and again, I, I guess this is in billions, I guess, uh, it, it is very excessive. Uh, it's 157 billion dollars, down from 163 billion just a year ago. But they do have a good amount of equity. Their equity is 161 billion. Yeah,
2: I so, was gonna say it's all relative. The number yeah. sounds high, but the equity also sounds very high as well. So, yeah. uh, especially when you acquire a company like Time Warner, that's a lot of valuable assets that you received there. So. And I, I, and I know what,
1: uh, when we start doing the deeper dive into this, I know what stops us each time. Intangible assets, $146 billion. It's yeah. like, if they did that right off, I mean, even half of that.
2: That's equity go up to 150%. Yeah. And and they,
1: ha- did they get rid of DirecTV? What's going on with DirecTV? They still have I, that? I, I'm not
2: completely sure. I believe I saw a headline that there was talks that they might have an interested buyer, but, right. uh. You know, we don't hold AT&T, so I, I don't know for sure.
1: Yeah, and it, yeah, we don't follow AT&T that closely. We just kind of, we kind of, it's not on our watch list. It's kind of on our, eh, it's a maybe list.
2: <laughs> it's a 7% dividend yield, and I, mm-hmm. I'm not worried about the dividend. I know the payout right. ratio is not material, but I, I think a lot of that is from and the divestitures the, right? the that they're yeah. doing and kind of just non-cash expenses, I believe. I, I don't know for sure. But just based off those estimated earnings, it, it seems like it's kind of one-time events that they're having, and the dividend appears to be pretty safe. And I mean, seven percent yield—that's that's pretty sound yeah. when you look over the yeah. next several years.
1: And, and actually, my emotions want to buy it. But my electric side
2: says, No,
1: there's things out there you don't understand. If you don't understand it, don't buy it. And but we keep looking at it. Maybe maybe someday we'll get a
2: hand. I mean, maybe you'll get a little bit more clarity. That that's all I'm really waiting for. And and you might miss out. You might not get it at twenty nine. Maybe it's at thirty two. Right. And you miss that seven percent yield. But if you have that clarity, you, you don't run the same risk of, Oh my gosh, it went from twenty nine down to twenty.
1: So also dude, Susan's looking for an answer. Should she sell it or buy it?
2: Oh, stay or sell. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, it's there's just it's such a complex business is a problem. And I, I don't want to give a yes or a no, because right. it could be a yes. If you do the research and you understand what's going on behind the scenes of, you know, the the write offs and why do they have negative earnings and so forth. So it's it's a maybe, I, I guess. I hate to give well, that answer.
1: And that's what I was going to say is just like we don't have the information. We don't feel comfortable with it. So I'm going to have to say if I don't feel comfortable with something. I'm gonna put a sell, sell it. on it, you yeah. know, because I there's something out there that I just don't understand. Um, I do see that Brendan's trying to help us out here, but his note cut off says DirecTV will become a standalone company after. <laughs>
5: After uh, a deal between AT&T, PGT, and CenturyLink deal. So, oh, okay. Uh, okay. Okay, there it is. Okay, thank you,
2: Brandon. <laughs> I thought he was teasing me with that.
1: After. <laughs> but that that was a
2: major problem we discussed yeah. with AT&T. So if they get that kind of out of there, that was one of our big holdups. Because yep. that, was, that was actually one of their large intangible assets. So they could have another write-off. Yeah. So yeah. maybe after you get more clarity on that, there could be a little bit more clarity on the full picture. Yep.
1: All righty, phone number is 866 577 2473. That's 866 577 2473. And, you know, Chase, we, we got to make it have Brennan somehow make it so you can see the screen because you are kind of in the dark until I start talking. It'd it's not nice. fun. <laughs> you like it? It's, it's it's like a he's challenge. on the edge of his seat every yeah. time. <laughs> you know, <I'm> like, Ooh, <laughs> what are we talking about here? <laughs> All right, we'll keep it a surprise.
2: <laughs> okay.
1: All right, let's go out to San Diego and speak with George. George, you're on this morning, Brent. Chase, how can we help you out? Yeah, I'm looking to. FRO, FRO. Oh, that's a symbol, FRO? Yeah. Okay, so is that Frontline Limited? Yeah. Okay, is that a foreign company? What, what, what do we got here? Do you got anything? No, no? Yeah, I got something. You, well, no, I got nothing on it. Uh, FRO? FRO, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, let me just see, because I've been coming up with. Uh, you selected a non. U.S. listed company, maybe it's an ADR. That could be. Uh, let me let me see if I can click on something else here to get something for you. So. Yeah, well, you know, you can't even see the screen, but yeah, you can get the stuff. What's up with that? <laughs>
2: I don't know. I, my computer's been a little bit slow today too, really? unfortunately. Yeah. But yeah, no, I I, I got the numbers here. You know, you what? I'm because like. I got nothing. If so. you go to the analyst estimates, that that's good. It's just the uh, company comparison. So we can switch roles here. Okay, let me, let me try that then. All right, so let's take a look here at Frontline Limited for you here, George. Uh, so current price to earnings multiple, very good at 3.68. Uh, industry, not material. Uh, current price to sales, well, that's 1.24. Uh, also better than the industry average of 1.72. Current price to tangible book value, 1.01 below the industry at 1.16. That's a very good price tangible book value around 1%. Uh, current price to cash flow, 2.74, which also compares favorably to the industry of 6.04. So I'd like to see that. Now, this is very strange. Uh, maybe you can also take a look and see what this company does. Because I look at this dividend yield, it's 26%. Wow. that uh, That's
5: what I'm questioning.
2: Yes. And, and the dividend payout ratio it's sustainable at 76.6%. So I, I don't know what this company does, but I mean, that's... Unbelievable. Yeah, that, that, that's something. I'm almost me. wondering if they're a, like not a hedge fund, but one of those like partnership types. In, and we looked at it a few weeks ago, and I, I don't remember the name of the, the type of investment right. it is. But it, it, something it seems strange very strange yeah. here. I, I don't think I will have time because we're getting be yeah. real close into this. Yeah, so uh sales growth uh, over the last 12 months, that's up 27.6%. And earnings over the same time period last 12 months, up 191%. Uh, Total debt to equity at this time, 136%, so it's a little bit high, but it's it's still, I would say, manageable. And that current ratio is 1.34, so they have liquidity there. Now look at the management effectiveness, return on capital at 12.73, that's above 10, which we like to see. And return on equity at 26.45. It is above our normal metric, we like to see above 15. Looking at the profit margin, uh, income after tax year, 33.8%, so very sound profit margin. And then no receivable or inventory turnover. So I, I very curious. I mean, this company here it is it it is in. Well, one says oil and gas transportation services, and the other says water transportation services. So, uh, let me see. Unless Sounds you have what the company does?
1: Uh, I I I do not. I was just going with the numbers because I know we're just about yeah, sure uh, the hard break here. So, uh, stock day close on Friday at seven dollars sixty nine cents. The fifty two week high is eleven ninety five. The low is five twenty eight. Uh, going out to December 2022, I see earnings of dollar four. gives us a target sell price of $17.26. I'm thinking maybe that 24% dividend is maybe a special dividend.
2: I, that's how I can really think yeah. of here.
1: Uh, you know George, uh, we've, got a, we've got a break here, so what we're going to do is, is let you go. Uh, during the break, maybe we'll look real quick, see if we can understand something more about why that 26% dividend is there. All right, George? Thank you. All right, thanks for calling. Have a good one. Bye-bye. All righty. Well, that clears all the lines out for next hour. 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. So, actually, I see Lucent and Chula Vista. Stay with us. You'll be up next. You are listening to smart business show with Brent Chase. Stay with us. All righty. Welcome back to the second half of the Smart Investing Show. Yes, phone lines are open. 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. Gosh, Chase, that break goes by so quick. I barely have time to put my microphone away and bring I it back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, we want to finish up on Frontline. You said you found some information on Frontline for George.
2: Yes, so I I was curious what what they did, and I brought up they were in the oil and gas industry, and then the water Wanted. transportation. Mm-hmm. So actually, what they do is they uh, engage in the seaborne transportation of crude oil and oil products worldwide. So that's why they were in those that <laughs> two true. different industries there. Uh, kind of interesting, um, but they are also based in Bermuda, which is um, always strange to me. But uh, I I just it sounds very, very interesting. I I don't know what else to say about frontline other than the numbers look almost too good to be true. Spooky a little, huh? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah, (laughs) Um, you know what? I, I left that screen. I didn't report the market cap. Do you still have the market cap up there? Um, because again, it looks interesting, but if it's got too small of a market cap, um, that would not be good. Yeah, for us. Anyways, could okay. be good for George. I got the circle going here. I have a circle going. Circle of Death. Yeah, yeah, I know. It on, says yeah. one point five billion. One point five billion. God, ah, that's not that yeah. small. Uh, Brennan, can you just come in the office here? I uh, sure, sure. <laughs> <family? Yeah. laughs> So, So well, one point five billion. No, that's 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 small. We we couldn't touch that.
2: I I thought it was. I mean, with those numbers, I thought it was going to be like the one we found. Uh, oh, like three hundred million. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that, it's it's larger than I anticipated. You're right. We couldn't get involved no. in it, but. It's larger than I thought it would
1: be. Yeah. Yeah. Because we would, we, we, yeah.
2: So, but but for George, I mean, it, it looks interesting. Yeah. But George, you got to do the rest of the research yourself
1: because we generally spend 10, 15, 20 hours <laughs> doing that. Uh, there's more to understand in this business. But I hope we point in the right direction telling you that, yes, I think it's worth the research. So do a little bit more. So yes. maybe someday we'll be able to have a workshop. Uh, I was kind of hoping maybe at the end of this month, but I'm concerned with, I, I heard we'll go in the red zone maybe. Maybe I hope so. Yeah, I yeah yeah because maybe then if we did one the first week of April or something maybe.
2: Yeah, uh, uh, it, yeah. I, I think it'd be more acceptable. Yeah.
1: And I really miss doing those because I love having people come in and explain what we do and have the conversations, answer the questions. I mean, I I, I miss those uh workshops. So hopefully, if we go to the red, uh, I'm not sure what that means. I think it's, I know it's a positive, but maybe then we can set up a workshop for maybe the first week of April. Yeah. So alrighty. Phone number's here,
2: 866-577-2473. Let's head, oh, do you have something? I was just going to bring up, we talked about it during oh, the break right. real briefly. Sorry, gosh I forgot. Just yeah. ran over it. But, yeah, uh, yeah so March Madness. Uh, this weekend, I yes. know, you know, uh, many of our <laughs> listeners enjoy March Madness. Uh, also, for many of our listeners that know, I, I do have a charity. It's uh, called the Fighters Fight Foundation. Again, it uh, serves women experiences that are battling breast cancer, so, you know, Delivering dinners is kind of Mm -hmm. what we've been able to do during COVID. uh, Trying to make that Provide birthday parties. Uh, One woman had a nine-year-old son uh, that was having his birthday party and just was obviously exhausted going through chemo and everything else. So we we took that on and and got presents for him, a birthday cake, and and delivered that all so they could enjoy that together. But the reason I bring that up is because we are doing a March Madness bracket challenge. Um, If you give us a $15 donation on the website – you can enter into that bracket challenge for a $100 gift card to Roos Chris. Oh. So the best bracket gets $100 to Roos Chris, my favorite restaurant. I know you enjoy Roos Chris, as, Chris well. as well. Just here last week, yes. <laughs> and uh, so all you have to do is go to FightersFightFoundation.com, and that's FightersFightFoundation.com. And you'll see right there. It's the March Madness bracket challenge. Sign up for it and uh, enter it on in, and you might win a $100 gift card.
1: So so it's a $15 Donation donation to get you into it, mm-hmm. uh, which again, so you're doing something fun, but also having a good benefit for the foundation for these women that have breast cancer. Exactly. Um, and you could win a gift certificate, $400 to our favorite restaurant,
2: Ruth Chris. Exactly. Yeah. A, I think it's a win, win, win. You get to do the bracket challenge, you get to help a charity, and you could win a gift card. I mean, gosh, go. what's not to like about that?
5: Uh, so, quick question. Are you allowed to donate multiple $15 in order to do multiple brackets by any chance?
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <Awesome>. <laughs> I'll do that. <laughs> That's a good thing. And, and again, it benefits the charity even more. So, you feel good about doing something good, and I like it. So, how do how do they do it again? What well, do you just
2: do? go to FightersFightFoundation.com. We have an event on the page there, and you sign up and uh, get in there to win. Pretty easy to
1: remember. Fighters Fight Foundation.
2: That's it. That's it. And it actually comes from... Um, you know, my aunt passed away from breast cancer last right. year and my, my grandpa would call her Rocky, ah, uh, and well, fighting. At, at, yeah. at, 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 in the, uh, movie, it's like, that's what you got to do, you know, fighters fight. Right. So it actually stems from Rockies, the fighters fight foundation. That's where it came from.
1: Yeah. And I know our good friend, Steve Orasso, who was, uh, actually mixed martial arts and did all that stuff. He knows, uh, alone personally, try to get, you to that would be great if he ever did that. I I talked to him once in a while. He's back in Connecticut now. Yeah. yeah, (laughs) Good guy. All righty. Phone number is 866-577-2473. Again, that's 866-577-2473. As said uh, earlier, let's go down to Chula Vista and speak with Lewis. Lewis, you are on the Smart Investor Brent Chase, how can we help you?
6: Hi, Brent. uh, Thanks thanks for taking my call. You have a great show. Thank you. I have a question about uh, a stock. It's called Novavax. N O V A V A X. Mm-hmm. They're a kind of biotech company uh back east and uh they're working on a uh coronavirus vaccine which should be out uh shortly. Um and I just like to know I own it and I just like to know uh what what your thoughts are uh about uh selling. They're very it's probably the most volatile stock I've ever owned. Mm-hmm. So I'm always a little nervous. I check it almost every day. <laughs> And it just goes up thirty, and then drops, you know, forty, and it's just all over the place. And I never uh, own the stock of the sort. What's what's your take on it?
1: All right, well, let's look at the numbers. I want to make a comment too. I almost kind of feel with a uh, vaccination, they're kind of like late to the party. I, I mean, now you know, that's, that's one concern I kind of have. Like, okay, it's not a big deal. The first one was the big deal, but now you're what fourth of the party. But let's look at the numbers. See, hey, there's something here for Novavax uh, Incorporated, as n-v-a-x unfortunately here lewis no p-e ratio that's the same as the industry price of sales very expensive 31.5 versus 11.3 price to book value 30.8 that's double the industry at 16. uh they do not pay a dividend now here's something that's great about the company unbelievable here but the sales year over year up two thousand four hundred forty eight percent versus 17 and you said they haven't released the vaccine yet so they got something great going on but earnings not doing so well. Earnings are down 19.6%. Industry was down 17.1%. Uh, current ratio, 2.5, or I'm sorry, 2.15 versus 3.4. That is good. Debt to equity, 74.6. That's above the industry at 47, but that's okay at 75. Uh, now, we do see return equity not good at all, a negative 189 versus a negative 20 for the industry. Their net profit margin, a negative 87.9 versus a negative 27.2. And then receivable tomorrow is 3.5 versus 4.7. No help there, really. But, Jace, what about the earnings going forward? Anything?
2: I'm very surprised here, to be honest. And uh, really? I'll get into why I'm surprised. But to begin, current price here, $202.77. 52 week high, $331.68. And as you said, Lewis, very, very volatile because that 52 week low, brace yourself, $6.77. Oh, it has <laughs> just you know, exploded off of that.
1: Is that what you bought it at, Lewis? Uh, well, I wish
6: no, <laughs> it was closer to a, to a hundred, but it's okay. certainly you know I'm I'm certainly in the in the positive, but again it's just uh, it's just the unknown. It's kind of late in the game, like you said, Brent, and uh, it, they are saying that it's very you know efficient and effective, probably the, one of the highest among the competitors. Mm-hmm. So I, I see that you know that that positive, but again it's just it just. It's just worrisome. Uh, every, every day, I worry about where it's going to go. You know, all it needs is a bad report somewhere, and it goes down $30, $40, $50 uh, dollars a share.
2: So Yeah, and I, I, I was going to say, that the reason I'm, I'm majorly surprised here is I go out to December 2022. I see estimated earnings per share of $33.54. It would give us a target sell price of $556.76. Now, the thing is, Novavax was... No one before coronavirus. They they were a uh, no one. You, you no, never no heard one. of Novavax. Yeah. And yeah. now this is, I think, where all their earnings are stemming from is coronavirus. Um, I have heard some inklings that, you know, it's transformative and it's proof that their business model can work in other areas, which, which may be true. Yeah. But I, I don't have enough information, I guess, on the company to really see and project out earnings here because some analysts are, are very high on over the next several years. Is that all stemming from COVID, or are there other opportunities for this business that can come in and actually generate revenue and, and generate sound earnings? Because, as we've kind of discussed here, coronavirus is, is not going to be here forever. I, d- yeah. I don't believe that's well, going to be a big money. Will be, be
1: people left to take the vaccination if they've all taken it already? And the other thing I noticed, too, Chase, was uh, there's only four analysts that follow that, and the range is very high. The high is $44.18, the low is And, Lewis, from you, I'm hearing that you're very nervous about it. Uh, you've got a 100% profit now, it sounds like. Is that correct? That's that's correct. Yeah. I mean, yeah,
2: how much of your portfolio does it make up there, Lewis? Uh,
6: relatively small. Okay. Relatively small. But nevertheless, it's it's concerning. That, that, that's mm-hmm. it. I'm just worried about it. And, and uh, looking in the future, they have talked about uh, a sort of a, a combination uh, type of vaccine for the regular flu and the, the coronavirus so they're kind of working on that uh, so uh, you know uh, there is that sense of positive uh, you know results or, or some sort of project in the future yeah. but uh, again it's a little worrisome I just uh, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of just taking the money and run and just uh, call it quits because uh, again I, it, to me it's, it's just uh, you know when I read the information it sounds very very positive you know mm-hmm. and, and some of the predictions but Just like your take on it see what you thought. Yeah,
2: Mm. and and one thing, too, Lewis, you said it's a small portion of your portfolio. I actually do have a client that that did buy Novavax uh, against uh, our recommendation just because it's not what we do. And he bought it around the same time. It it more than doubled. And same thing, he was nervous about it but really liked the company still. So we sold out his profit and kept – his initial investment essentially. So basically now just, it's really, I think, a form of gambling essentially right, right. is what we're doing. Take your But mop, right, you know, right. it, it, it's it, its kind of, since it's such a small portion of your portfolio, and it's not something I would do, but I'm just hearing you're, you're right. worried about things. You don't want to be worried about it. I'd either say, stop worrying, sell it, or at least sell a portion of it so you're not stressed out about it
1: any longer. And, and, and two things, Louis, that, that I would tell you. I mean, one, I would never hold this in my portfolio. And two, if you were a client coming over, we would say if we're going to invest money, we're going to we're going to sell this. It's it's just not what we do, and, it, and it's making you kind of nervous. And you and the reason why you like it is like, well, gosh, I've got a, a big profit on it. It's Feels exciting, good. it goes exciting. up and down. Yeah, and it goes up, and the hope is that it's going to keep going up. But how are you going to feel if right. it goes back down to fifty dollars a share? You know,
5: which right, right. You know, so I,
6: I, right. I, I, I mean, it's it's also I did a little research, and I, I like their approach to the vaccine. It's it's um. It's They use a different, uh, without getting too technical, they use a little different form of uh, protein than what is being used today with the other competitors. So I kind of like that sort of natural, uh, kind of old, uh, old-fashioned old approach uh, without some of the new technologies that have been shown with uh, the, the uh, you know, uh, Moderna and the other uh, Vaccine, so that kind of caught my attention about a year ago. I just kind of liked that uh, that direction because I'm not too excited about vaccines in general. So uh, I thought this would be uh, something that would be uh, more beneficial for society than something else. And so that was part of it too, of course.
1: Yeah, and here's something too: if they don't get it approved quickly, I mean, we I think we're approaching 100 million people vaccinated now. I mean. Who's right. going to be left to
2: get the vaccination? <laughs> I've heard that we have Correct. like four times as many vaccines than we do people. And I don't know if uh, Novavax is part of that contract. I know the U.S. Right. government did do a contract with Novavax. Right. But I know there's a lot of vaccines out there. So I I don't know. There's, there's a lot of questions, I guess, around the excitement around COVID. and That's why kind of the, the flu shot you brought up. Yeah, maybe that that's what we're out for. Is him. there a flu? I don't know, I don't I thought it, it was flu, yeah, so <laughs> yeah. but Right know. now they're in phase three of that but, flu
1: shot, so it, it's getting there closer. It's in phase three. Okay. Thanks, Brennan. Yeah. So okay. They're getting closer, but again, could it take another month or two? I, th- I think in two months you're gonna have most people gonna be vaccinated. That's gonna be what uh May. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't know. So I I don't know. I I Lewis, Too many and un- too much uncertainty. Yeah, and I don't like uncertainty. I like to get investing is uncertain enough. If I got things that I can't get answers to, I don't like staying into it. So and you got a great profit, you know? Um,
6: I, right. Yeah. Oh, I understand. They, I know they'd have, uh, they'd had some contracts with, uh, you know, Britain and Canada when, uh, some potential deal in the works. But again, you know, it all stems on, uh, how, uh, how well the results are. And, uh, you know, if there's a in somewhere, then, then of course, uh, it won't be approved. And so I think I'm going to, uh, uh, I pre- appreciate your insight and your, uh, in your thoughts, uh, it's just something that I uh, I like the idea and whatnot, but again, I think they're a little late in the, in, in the game. And I, I I think in the long run, uh, by, the, by the time everything's settled down, I think it may not be that effective and make that much of a difference anymore. So.
1: And I think you'd sleep better at night <laughs> doing that <laughs> as opposed to keeping it. Yeah, so. All
6: right, Dolores. All right, yeah, I appreciate your time, gentlemen. Thank you so much. I all really right. enjoy your. Have a good rest of
1: the day. You too. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. That opens the phone line 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. Let's head up to Orange County and speak with Keith. Keith, you're on the Smart Investor, Brent Chase. How can we help you?
0: I have a question for the Dynamic Duo Investing. (laughs)
1: <laughs> What's you, you guys
0: need you guys need uh, capes, capes to wear
1: <laughs> what about the mask? oh we wear masks now anyways <laughs>
0: um,
1: there's a lot of talk
0: um in the media and also on television the investing gurus on t v and so forth fox and stuff of a uh, of a um a tech bubble correction and uh, I've owned uh I'll give me an example Microsoft and IBM for a long long time I bought Microsoft back in Two thousand and eight I bought um, uh, two hundred and fifty shares at twenty eight dollars and two cents
3: mm-hmm.
0: and I bought IBM several times actually my long investments I started buying them in one thousand nine hundred and ninety nine at forty four bucks and with all the splits and stuff, my kind of my average investment for about five hundred shares is fifty eight dollars roughly um, How do you think these companies are going to survive any kind of a correction is one safer than the other um, i also have johnson and johnson Would johnson and johnson be a better <clears throat> harbor if there is a correction in the marketplace
1: uh well actually all three that you listed are all uh pricey companies they're, they're, they're overpriced i i with the exception of ibm i mean ibm is not pricey but we've looked at it and it just and seems so, like i not
2: know issue issue with at&t just the intangible assets yes. i can't wrap my arms around it and right. I don't ever know what happened to Watson, but I know he was hot for a he while. For a while. <laughs> and and I, I know Warren Buffett sold
1: it with either yeah. a loss or a very small, small <clears> profit on it. So uh, IBM is something different. We'll kind of focus just on Microsoft. I, mean, I look at Microsoft; they they do trade at thirty-five times uh, past earnings. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I do remember we always go back. I can't remember the dates. Chase's memory is a little bit better than mine. I believe it was back in early two thousand, about ten years, that the, the stock didn't move at all the earnings right. are going up, and I'm wondering if that price is not. Because I hear all the time people, oh, Microsoft is, Microsoft great. And it is a great company. We also know, too, that they may lose that big contract with the government. That could be something bad for them. So I right. just don't like to pay the high prices. And I know you've done very well with the Microsoft, uh, probably not as well with the IBM. Sometimes you have to look at saying, yeah, my average return was X percent. But what if you sold Microsoft at the peak and you bought XYZ at the bottom? Uh, you may have done better. So we just don't like to hold high price companies because we have our discipline uh, and we know people that have held GE for a long time and they're still not back up. So that's what worries me is that things change and, you know, we'll buy a business around 10, 12 times earnings and we'll sell it around 16, 17 times earnings. And Mm -hmm. hopefully what happens is those earnings increase every year. uh, So we never sell that business. We've had business now for 10, 12 years because the earnings went up and the P.E would stay about the same because of the fact that the earnings met the... the, the
0: I, it, I'm, I've been a tech writer for over well over 20 years, and and I look at the two companies, of course, it's from, a, from a business side, what they're doing their investments and and, and uh, what they're doing to build their business, and I kind of look at IBM as a Joe Biden and a Microsoft as a Jeff Bezos. The Microsoft, from the inside, if you kind of know what you go on, I, I've been an alpha tester for some of their products which is a voluntary thing for for many years. Which is one of the reasons why I bought them when the analysts were really poo pooing Microsoft. At you know, like I said, I bought it at twenty eight dollars when everybody else was was, was head over to Apple and stuff. And I really didn't see that kind of dynamic trait for Apple. Apple buys their technology; they really don't invent anything, and they serve Whereas um, Microsoft is always thinking. When you know the company from inside, they're always thinking about ten years ahead and i b m just doesn't do that anymore and and that's why i like i said i i look at i b m as kind of as being a joe biden it's they're they're past their their you know actual intellectual glory and now they're they just seem to be more of a follower than a, than a leader. Yeah. <laughs> no
1: comment. On that. We won't get too political. We got trouble for that last week. <laughs> but I, I
2: think it's a, a creative perspective. <laughs> it's a good analogy, you
0: know. I mean, it, it. They've seemed to put all their all their nuts in the. Uh, in the cloud computing thing, and they really don't have much behind it. They don't have product anymore that's theirs. It's all uh, they're all services, and, and not really product, which IBM seems to do. A, I mean, a, a Microsoft seems to do a, a, a linear scale of what they put their their acorns in for the winter. And I, I just don't see that with many companies. I mean, this, uh, as we've discussed, I think before, Apple's just just a, in, in a, not just a bubble. It's just that's just a gigantic um, explosion waiting to happen. So is Tesla and things like that.
1: Yeah, and, and, and that's what I agree with as well. Is that things will change, and I've, I've been through this before. And during the tech boom, I was the dumbest guy because I wouldn't buy these high-priced companies. Everything comes back to the norm eventually. And the norm is not 35 times earnings. The norm is more like 14 to 17. Now, two things, one of two things can happen. Either one, the stock's going to have a dramatic pullback to meet that 14 to 17 times earnings, or it's Mm -hmm. going to stay at a price for many, many years until those earnings get up, which means you got dead money.
2: Yeah. And and the other thing I would say is we we look at almost in businesses in kind of three fashions. I would say Mm -hmm. you have. Good businesses at good prices, that's what we like to buy. You have good businesses at bad prices. That's where Microsoft is. It's a good business, it's just expensive. And then you have bad businesses. We're not even going to waste our time looking at bad businesses. <laughs> <laughs> it just sounds like you think IBM is. So um, not to say Microsoft is, is going to crash or anything. I, I think it, you know, I always hate saying the CEO's name is Shahe Nutella. I, <laughs> I can't pronounce Probably it. To see but us. I think he's, he's done say. a great job yeah. turning that company into its it's really transformative nature um mm-hmm. but it, it's just it's gotten a lot of respect in and i remember at 28 uh, i think we liked microsoft yeah. back then we did yeah. sell microsoft yep. we we didn't stay at the party as it continued to go higher um mm-hmm. but it, it's it's just at a very expensive price i don't know if it can go from i think it's around 230 right now to 300 i i, I don't see how it gets there as you would need a lot more than just earnings growth. You need that multiple expansion. And what's it going to do? Trade at forty times earnings? I don't see that
0: happening. Yeah, okay. I, get, I agree with you. About the, the new executive at Microsoft is is considerably better. Ballmer was just too emotional. This guy is pure logic, and, and I I love what he's doing with the company.
1: And he's more of a tech guy too, right? He's yes, engineering, absolutely. Engineer, yeah. So. Yeah, Ballmer's
0: Ballmer, Ballmer was more from the financial side of the business and. Did crazy things like he does with the Clippers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, and, and I, I did see going out to June 2, 20, uh, 2022, uh, their earnings are expected to go to $8.09 uh, versus seven forty for this year. Uh, I mean, their earnings are seen to be growing, but they're not growing at great, great guns. I mean, back in 2019, uh, the earnings were $4.75. They're so going from four seventy five in three years to eight oh nine, That justifies the price but I don't see that going forward. Actually, 2014, they actually declined, but probably not as many analysts there. Are you coming up with target price there, Jeff? No,
2: I was just looking at I mean, uh, this year they're estimated to make $7.40, and then next year they're estimated to make $8.09. So that's like a 9% estimated uh, increase in the earnings, uh, which isn't phenomenal given that the stock trades at, let's see here. Um, keep hitting the wrong button. Hit the wrong It button. trades at about 30 times earnings. As you said, future earnings, so... Normally, mm-hmm. if a company trades at 30 times your earnings, you're going to see sustained earnings growth, I would say, of right. like 20%. Um, so I, I just I just get worried. I, I think, again, great business. I don't want to detract from that statement, but it, it's it's just expensive. I would love it if Microsoft was trading at 10 times earnings. Oh. I think it would be hands down one of the best buys you could have, but yep. it, it's yep. just not the case here. It's expensive. Yeah, yeah
0: I, I wouldn't buy any more. I'm just wondering when when to get rid of it.
1: <laughs> uh, percentage-wise, what does it make up on your portfolio?
0: Um... Probably about
1: uh, 10%. Yeah. It's not when we start selling, but we start getting worried at 10% because we know if Microsoft had a, a big decline, that would really hurt the portfolio. Also, right. too, if it doesn't do anything going forward, your portfolio returns will be under, you know, performed.
0: Yeah. And well, it didn't start out being 10% of my portfolio, but too many of my energy stocks and, and – uh, uh REITs have have done poorly during the COVID thing. So uh, Microsoft kept growing while everything else kept going down. So mm-hmm. it it went originally it was about five percent and now it's a little over ten percent.
1: already Well, I, I I mean when people ask me, I mean again put us on the the, the box there. It's like, yeah, I, I if you came over to us, we would sell Microsoft because it's just too expensive, doesn't fit in what we do, uh, and and I do worry again. I I don't think we'll have that big pullback but I'm more concerned about it not doing anything for, for years to come, going to maybe from, from 200 to 300 for the next few years. Okay.
0: From well, okay. from your years to God, it's probably <laughs> you're correct.
1: All right. Call me back <laughs> in 10 years, Keith, and say, yep, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you very much, guys. All right, Keith. Thanks for calling. Have a good one. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Such a uh, a tough conversation because I I hear all the time people how much they love Microsoft and and again it is a great company but I just can't if I had it in my own personal portfolio I couldn't sleep at night
2: you know and it's interesting because uh, Keith he's a he's a tech guy and I hear people you know people love Ma- Apple they love Microsoft yeah and he's not a fan of Apple yep. I actually know another uh, engineer from Qualcomm that not a fan of Apple, and I think that might be for some other reasons, but he, right. he thinks it's kind of overblown in terms of the technology that they produce uh, or the service and products that they produce there. Um, so it, it's it's interesting. Um, yep. And I, I, I know Microsoft, I'm not a tech guy, but it, it seems like tech people like Microsoft a lot. I, I think you have to respect what they've done, but at what price right and and
1: no doubt uh, keith uh, being a tech guy I can probably run circles around us on the technology side understand technology because uh, i mean me i, I still don't even know what the cloud is well no, and i, I, I <laughs> know how to turn my computer on sometimes yeah. you know but but looking at a business and what you pay for a business is is important and, I, and we do depend on the analysts a lot as well and, and that's my method is that i look at saying as opposed to me making that one decision or working on one analyst i love when i see 32 analysts because i know some of those guys are probably very smart technology wise and that's why we take the average, not the best guy, not the worst guy. I mean, I came up with a system 40 years ago and it's just like, wow, this made sense. It's it's paid off very well for myself, and my clients. So um, all right, T. Phone number is 866 577 2473 That's 866-577-2473. I thought we switched over to Facebook. I see we're gonna talk about Robert.
2: No, I'm I'm kind of more excited about this one. Okay, but we can we can also we can do Robert first. That's fine. Okay.
1: I, I just don't know what the, the whole thing is for Robert. You might say, I say, Robert, uh, E-N-D-P, analyst
2: question. What was what that? Yeah, mean? yeah. So I, we'll take care of Robert here. So E-N-D-P is the company. So if you want to start looking that one up. Uh, oh. But he says, how much faith do you put in analysts' future earnings reports? I'm looking into E-N-D-P to buy, but I'm wondering if the analyst predictions may be a little high. Uh, I guess you could just use the lowest one to be more conservative.
1: And I kind of just talked about it a little yeah. bit. I didn't know what he was asking there. Um, we like the average of the analysts. and We don't look at their target sell price. If that's what he's saying, like, no, we don't care what they think their target sell price is. What we use the analysts for is the earnings estimates going forward. Now, how much do we rely on that? As we said, if there's three or four analysts, we don't get too excited. But you have eh, five, six, seven analysts. We like to look at the average of what they're saying. And that's held pretty strong. We also look at how far the range is. If the range is very high, you got a very high uh, number and a very low number, well, that worries us because then it's like, well, it's probably not that strong of a number. We like a tighter uh, number there. So all we use the analyst for is their estimates on the earnings, not the target pr- sell and price. And
2: to kind of carry on with what Robert did bring up is maybe I just use the lowest one as a conservative estimate. And yeah, w- we will do that from time to time as well. Just see what the lowest guy thinks. What's the worst case scenario? Mm-hmm. Uh, just to get an idea of, of where that company is trading in terms of its valuation. So that's not a bad idea. I wouldn't always rely on the lowest guy no. because he might just be a shorting huge bear and it could be yeah, shorting, shorting it. it. Yeah. And so that's that's why, again, the average is a, a very good tool here.
1: And we would never, ever look at the highest saying, oh, I could go. Let's <laughs> wait. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Never the highest, but perhaps low. And we always look at things from a more conservative perspective, uh, a worst case scenario, because I would, re- and, and again, I, I know I did this a couple years ago. I forget how many times I've been wrong over, I think we looked at a 10-year period. Uh, I, I, I think I, I want to say it was like 20%. I, I was wrong on, on different things. I think that was a number. But it's because I'm not shooting for the high. I'm trying to shoot for, let's get a good business at a good price. And the hype, stay away from the hype. so All right, let's look uh, Endo International PLC. Symbol is E-N-D-P. A good start here, P.E. ratio 17.3 versus not material for the industry. Price to sales, very good, 0.7 versus 11.3. Price to book value, not material versus 16.2. And price to cash flow is 3.1 versus not material for the industry. We do see their sales are actually down 0.4% year over year. Industry was up 17.1. We do see earnings per share. Wow, up 131% when the industry down 17.2. Look in the balance sheet, uh, current ratio 1.9 versus 3.4. Debt to equity, nothing there versus 46 for the industry. We see return equity, not material versus 20. So I'm thinking they probably do not have any equity. I'll check that, Chase, when you're looking at the, um, uh, the earnings going forward. Uh, net profit margin looks good, 4.1 versus a negative 27.7. You see what turnover is 5.9 versus 4.8, and inventory turnover 4.2, double the industry at 2. What do you got for the internet, Chase?
2: Yeah, so an interesting (coughs) company here. It is actually in Dublin, Ireland, is Uh where it's headquartered. Uh, I wonder if that's for tax purposes. I'm I'm guessing it is. (laughs) Probably could have done that a few years ago. Years ago, ago, yeah. And uh, what they actually do is they do drug manufacturing. It says specialty and generic drugs. Uh, Not going to get into that because the drug names are always very difficult to. So just know they are a drug manufacturer there. But looking at the current price here for Indo-International PLC, $8.68, 52-week high, $10.89, and 52-week low, that's $2.08. Now I go out to December 2022, I do see estimated earnings per share of $2.09. That would give us a target sell price here using our 16.6 multiple of $34.69. So that looks very strong. But I will say that is the non-GAAP estimate for earnings. I do not like this. The GAAP estimate for earnings is a loss of $0.41. And I have noticed this with companies that are overseas. They seem to have huge discrepancies between GAAP and non-GAAP earnings. I'm not sure if a lot of that stems from maybe uh, holding different currency contracts to really offset uh, the cash flows. Mm -hmm. Because if you (coughs) kind of lock in different future currency contracts, you have a good idea of what your cash flows are going to be. Where if you have no idea your cash flows can be all over the place but what happens is as that currency fluctuates up and down you might have to take losses on those currency contracts so i would want to understand the difference long story short here between the gap and the non-gap earnings that is a major concern for me and i
1: just take a look at the uh balance sheet here for robert Uh, a good thing i did because um they've got some strange things here uh they have intangible assets of 6.8 uh i believe it's billion dollars let me double check that yeah 6.8 billion dollars uh but what i really did not like was they have total assets of 9.2 billion again mostly intangible looking at their debt 8.3 billion total liabilities 9.9 billion negative equity 650 million and they've been negative for the last five months now it's getting a little bit better but I don't like to buy companies that have so much liabilities and not so much in assets. And a lot of those assets are intangible assets, which could be written down. Uh, the stock could continue to rise, could do very well going forward, but it's not a safe rise because they have a weak uh, balance sheet or a weak foundation, which we would not buy this company. All right. All right. Now, you had something else you want to talk about. What do you want to talk about?
2: Do uh, you see Vincent on there? Yes. Okay. So uh, let's talk about Vincent. Uh, are you going to
1: talk about Vincent or what he wants to talk about? Yeah, I I don't know (laughs) much about Vincent. But uh, he
2: does say, hey, guys, an activist investor group is demanding changes at Kohl's and wants to nominate nine new board members. Is this a positive or a negative for a shareholder? I hold Kohl's in my portfolio. Should I hold or take my money and run? All right. Well, let's take a look at Kohl's on the numbers here and decide that
1: because the activist investors could do some good things. They could actually make some positive. Uh, but let's look at the numbers first and see where we stand and then make a decision on what we think here. Coming again as Kohl's symbol is KSS. We do see no P.E. ratio versus 99 for the industry. Price to sales looks very good, 0. 0.6 versus 3.6. Price to book value also very good, 1.8 versus 22.5. And price to cash will 13.4, better than the industry. at 23.6. Uh, they do not pay a dividend. Well, it actually shows 1.65%, but no payout ratio. Uh, And I think they just reinstated the dividend, didn't they? Or they talked about it? No. you Remember?
2: No, I don't know. Okay, okay. So
1: I don't think it was them. Okay, so, but it shows 1.65, but yet it's kind of blank there also. So we're not sure if they have a dividend or not. I know they did stop it. They may have brought it back. We do see sales are down 20.1%. Industry is up 27.2. That does surprise me. I thought the industry would be down as well. We do see price to, I'm sorry, the earnings per share year over year, last 12 months were down 124% versus 44 for the industry, that's a positive. And then we do know that we're going to start seeing this change going forward because you're not going to be start comparing year-over-year year to the down period of COVID versus a more normal time frame. Look at the balance sheet, uh, current ratio, 1.9 versus 1.1. Debt to equity, 76 versus 68. We do see return on equities a negative 3 versus a positive 18.9. Net profit margin a negative 1 versus 3.7. Receivable turnover, not material. Inventory turnover, 3.3 versus 7.6. That could be a problem.
2: This is a retailer. I'd like to see
1: that inventory turnover
2: higher. What
1: do you got for the earnings, Chase?
2: So current price here for Coals $60.46. Right near its 52-week high of $60.95 and 52-week low, $10.89. I go out now to January 2023. I do see estimated earnings per share of $4.13. It uh, would give us a target sell price of sixty eight dollars and fifty six cents. So it is still above that current price. So it, it would actually be in the hold category for us. It's about what was the sell price? Sixty eight dollars and fifty six cents. Okay. So okay. it is, um, you know, as I said, it, it'd be a hold at this time. Uh, and kind of answer the question on the activists. Um, I did see some news here because I, I I looked up the the price on, on Yahoo. It says, Kohl's activists scale back on board candidates. So it seems like this activist movement might be scaling back a little bit, which could hurt the stock price slightly, just because that's what kind of got people excited about it. Right. But, I mean, we talked about, we think Michelle Gass, the CEO of Kohl's, has just done a phenomenal job. I was shocked when I found out there's an activist group coming after Kohl's. Right.
1: And I was as well. Because I think she's done a great job. I think the board's done a good job. I was interviewed by a magazine about this, and I kind of looked a little bit deeper, and uh, what they want to do is they want to sell off the real estate to get more cash uh, and try to put that back in earnings. And, and I, I, I just, again, I don't like financial engineering. I think the company's doing a great job. Uh, they're moving in the right direction, great CEO. They've got some great uh, ideas that they're working with. I, I'd be afraid that you get more board members in there. Maybe they're short-term thinking, not long-term thinking. So I, I don't, I don't like the actors being there. I might even consider selling it now, even though it's not at the target sell price, because I just don't know if they're adding value. But you know what? We stick to the target sell price. So maybe I would, I'd maybe wait for sixty-eight.
2: Yeah, so. I mean, I, I, I think so. I mean, you know, it. The only thing that concerns me as well is if the reopening of the economy doesn't go as anticipated. I've talked about this before. Then this stock, as I said, the lowest ten dollars. is now at sixty. Yeah. I mean, there, there's a lot of excitement now around the reopening. It, it could kind of hinder that. Yeah, I, I think the reopening
1: for certain businesses could be a disappointment. Uh, yeah. Because, again, I, I, I think Kohl's and some other retailers have done about as best as they're going to do. Just because all of a sudden people are coming back out, I, 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 I don't know. I could be wrong, but I don't think it's going to be that big of an increase because I think people have been going out. I mean, the last month or so, I think people are really getting tired of, of this and saying, I don't care. I'm going out. I'm going to go shopping. all righty phone number is 866-577-2473 that's 866-577-2473 let's head out to Alpine and speak with Tim Tim you're on the Smart Investor Brent Chase how can we help you
7: hey guys how are you this morning
1: good how you doing
7: You know, I'm in San Diego. You know, I'm not fighting (laughs) snowstorms or hurricanes or anything. I'm doing pretty well. Well,
1: that's a true side.
7: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's other things, but what the hell. Hey, one of the bad things about owning stocks, I've found out a couple of times, is a company gets sold Mm -hmm. and uh, sold out my Reynolds America to British Tobacco and turned a great company into nothing. And uh, (laughs) there was another one that – there was another one that sold and left me with some Beatrice stock somehow. I forget which company it was. Pfizer. I'm going, what?
2: Yeah, F- yeah Pfizer. Yeah, Pfizer spun it out.
7: Ah, that's what it was. Okay. Because I still got my Pfizer stock. That's right. That's right. So what's the deal with Beatrice? Should I keep it? Sell it? Is it worth, it, worth, worth anything? I mean, uh, just clogging up my portfolio at the moment.
1: Yeah, and I'll let you know, sometimes mm-hmm. when we look at a company that does do a spinoff or something, we'll mm-hmm. generally just kind of get rid of it because it's such a small part of the portfolio. It's just a pain to try to watch it. You may not want to add to it. Now, Chase, when I put in VTRS, I came up with Mylan 2BV pre-merger. Did you get that too?
2: So we've looked at this company I know we like, have. because um, it's actually been one of the value companies to watch in terms right. of like Barron's has pointed it out a couple of times and- for whatever reason, we do get that on Reuters, and the numbers appear to be correct because I, I do cross-reference it against other um, services, but it, it is just a concern to me why it is you're saying the same that. thing? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah. I'm, I'm saying I go to Yahoo, and it, it, it looks like the current price on Reuters is the same as it is on Yahoo Finance. So you're thinking we got the same numbers, but I... I, I and, and Tim, we...
1: Looked at this guy because I saw it in Barron's. I read about it, so we kind of looked at it. I don't think these are the same numbers because I thought it did have a PE ratio. I'm not seeing a PE ratio here.
2: Well, the problem is it's spin out, so okay. it's almost hard to get the numbers going back, but you get the numbers going forward.
1: Yeah, I d- the numbers I'm looking at I mean, well, actually, I see
2: I, it, it's because of the gap the gap numbers versus the non gap. The non gap numbers. numbers. So yeah. Reuters shows you the gap numbers.
1: You know, I, I, I'm i going to say, Tim, maybe you should call back next week because I no, you're saying no. What? What it's been like this for two really months. I I thought I'd print this out. I don't remember this looking like uh, VTRS because I thought I liked it. I'm not liking what I'm seeing here. OK, so you think those are real numbers. Right? I think these are real okay. numbers. Well, Tim, we're going to go with these numbers that we have. OK, uh, because Chase thinks they are the, the correct number here. So. Company is Ver- all right. Well, I'm glad yeah. I gave you guys a challenge. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah well, well. Yeah. It's a challenge. That's for sure. <laughs> so, all right. So. So for Veritas, I, I think it's a biatrix. Biatrix is the way you say it. I don't even see that here. I just see yeah. the symbol B T R S. No P E ratio, same as the industry. Price of sales 1.5 versus 11.3. That's a positive. No price attainable book value versus 16 for the industry. That's a negative. But price of cash flow 14.1 versus not material for the industry. They do not pay a dividend. They did see sales up 3.9% year-over-year. Industry was up 17. Earnings per share fell by 1,980% when the industry was up 17.2. The balance sheet got a current ratio of 1.2 versus 3.4. Debt to equity 112 versus 47. So that's a little bit worrisome there. Return to equity a negative 3.9 versus a negative 20. Mm -hmm. Net profit margin, 5.6, negative. Same as the industry, a negative 27. And receivable turnover is 3.7 versus 4.7. Inventory turnover, 1.8 versus two. Chase, what do you got over there?
2: Yeah, so uh, current price here for buy is $14.36. And I, I did check the prior 12 months of revenue, earnings, and everything. On Reuters versus right. Yahoo. So I, I just don't know why the name, we might have contact Reuters and be like, what is going yeah, on what's here? What's going with the on name? here? Yeah. Because all these numbers do appear to be correct. But, anyways, the the current price for our fiat is $14.36, 52 week high $19.24, and 52 week lows $12.75. Now I go out to December 2022, I do see estimated earnings per share of $3.66. Would give us a target sell price of $60.76. So that looks very strong. But the concern I have, like uh, the other pharmaceutical company we looked over, is the difference between the gap and the non gap numbers. Because if I look at the gap numbers, the estimates for $1.34, that would give us a target sell price still of $22.24. But it just concerns me that the discrepancy is that high. And the reason there's no PE, as you look back at 2020, on a non gap basis, they made $3.95, but on a gap basis, they lost $1.11. So I'm, I'm just very curious yeah, what yeah. that discrepancy is there. Yeah, there's just too many questions on that. Because I, I
1: remember looking at this, and I thought I kind of liked it. I don't like what I'm seeing here, except for the target sell price. So something changed maybe over the last few weeks. Maybe it's on the Reuters. Maybe it's something with a gap. Maybe it's something with a spinoff. I would not want to make a decision on this yet because I just don't feel comfortable on uh, what I've read here for you, Tim. So um,
7: Well I think I ahead. think the operative word is uh, when you say spin off the operative word is spin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, got, <laughs> I mean, I can, got my head spinning. Pfizer's <laughs> a pretty Fisa's a pretty decent company. It's like why would you you know, why do you
1: why would you keep this around and detract you from your main mission? well sometimes what they do and I don't know if this is the case here or not, sometimes what a big company will do to show more value, they will spin off 10% of that business to have a trade to show the the world, so to speak, that, yeah, see, it's, this is what this is worth, even though we're holding it. So that could be the same case here. They may have only spun off 10 or 15% of it just to have it trade so they can say that, yes, we own this company worth you know $10 billion. So that could be there. answer. Oh, you think they still own you think they still own part of Viatris? Uh, I I don't know the answer for that. I'm just I'm just speculating here what it could be. Uh, if we did own or wanted to buy Viatris, we would actually do more research on it. So I'm kind of pointing you in that direction to maybe kind of look there to see.
2: Yeah, cuz if Pfizer still own, let's say 60% even of Viatris, it's like, oh, wow, they they could really move the market in terms of issuing more stock or yeah. you know, it, it's always concerning if somebody or some company owns such a large portion so I, i'd be very curious uh what their ownership looks like and if if pfizer's still involved yep yeah so,
7: so i'll just pull go to pfizer and pull down the 10qs and go through them and see what see see what it shows pretty yeah, much yeah
1: yeah and and what we're kind of giving you here tim is a lot of research needs to be done on this i again i know that i didn't look at it where i kind of talked to chase about it we didn't do much more research on that thing eh, it could be a potential but we haven't done much research i think be a lot to do on this company could be worth it but based on the numbers i'm seeing here chase i'm not very excited
2: yeah because I, I like they they do the not really the uh creation or the the science behind the drugs uh, the, the design of the drugs <laughs> yeah, <laughs> i don't know how to phrase it i mean they they do the uh manufacturing and distribution of various medicines for patients in the United States and internationally, uh, rather than, you know, like, actually Pfizer creating yeah. the different drugs. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, it's hard because creating and manufacturing, I, I'm having a hard time distinguishing <laughs> those two words. I, I guess creation
1: is yeah, actually well, where do. you create the idea and the yeah. concept and the formula and the manufacturing is where when you manufacture it, do it. Drugs, do it. Yeah. There we go. Yeah, so... All right, Something Tim, like I that. I know we weren't like crystal clear for you there because there's just not a crystal clear answer. Yeah, no me. kidding. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you might be more confused to hang up the phone than when you picked up the phone, but uh sometimes that's the way it is investing. It takes more time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just
7: you said it right at the beginning. You said you know, you, it's more of a nuisance having it in the portfolio. Yeah. Just uh I I mean I do I go I look for dividends and this doesn't have any and I suddenly, you know
1: Yeah, just Yeah, yeah percentage wise, what's it make up? Like Maybe 0.5% of your portfolio?
7: Yeah, I, I don't yeah. know what yeah. yeah, maybe. See, and I
1: tell people if it was great and it doubled, it's not really, that's a half percent more in your portfolio. If it goes down and you lose it, eh, it's not going to be a big thing. And you're just saying, you know what? I'm just Too confusing. Be, too confusing. Let me just get rid of it and use that's buy right. something I it don't.
7: It doesn't fit what I do.
1: Yes. You yeah. Know? yeah, but it doesn't fit what you and, do. Uh, Move on. Sell it.
7: All yeah. All right. Well, listen, uh, thanks again, guys, and,
1: uh, you know, have a have a great day. I appreciate you always being there. All right, Tim, we appreciate you being there as well. Thank you. Bye-bye. All righty, that opens on the phone line, 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. Let's go out to San Diego and speak with Kalani. Did I have that correct? Kalani? Kalani? Morning. Yes, good morning. Do I have yes. your name? Correct is a Kalani. Yes. Oh, good. Okay. Good. Sometimes I'm not that great with names, but I I thought that looked pretty good. Uh, how can we help you today?
5: Um, I bought a stock, uh, Gvo, G E V O, and uh, I was just curious what what you guys think of it. All right. Um.
1: Well, we'll take a look at it. Let me ask you, why did you buy it? What did you see there to buy it?
5: Um, I'm I'm into the fuels. I like, um, you know, like Kinder Morgan and stuff like that. And, uh, so I, I bought it and, um, it just been going up like crazy. I bought it for like a dollar something and, uh, okay. I wish I
1: would have bought more, but <laughs> that's the way it is. Investing, like, darn it, wish I bought more of that one because it did well. But uh, let's take a look at the numbers. I will tell you, we're kind of cutting out a little bit. So uh, we're going to look at the numbers. Hopefully, you'll you'll still be there when we're finished here. But we do see the coming again as Gevo Incorporated. Symbol as G E V O. Unfortunately, here no P/E ratio, same as the industry. Price of sales, wow, 168 versus two. That's very expensive. Price to book value of 14.8 versus not material for the industry. And price of cash flow is not material versus 12 for the industry. Now, sales are down 51% year over year. Industry was down 2.8. Earnings per share, however, for Jiva were up 39.5% when the industry fell by 2,545. We do see a current ratio very good, 4.9 versus 2.1. A lot of liquidity with this company. And debt to equity looking pretty good as well, 10.3 versus 62. We do see return on equity is a negative 67.4 versus a negative 5.6. Net profit margin also 243 versus a negative uh, 8.2. And then we see is 31.8, well above the industry of 4.6. And inventory turnover, 8.2, also better than the industry of 3.1. Chase, what do you got for earnings there?
2: Yeah, so I I did kind of look into this company because I haven't heard of it before, and it is a specialty chemical company. Uh, They do operate renewable fuels, uh, so I think that's probably why it's done so well. It's it's around that kind of green energy type concept, commercializes gasoline, jet fuel, and diesel fuel to achieve zero carbon emissions, introduce greenhouse gas emissions. So I think that's why the company is doing so well is that excitement over green energy. But unfortunately here, I I look at the current price of $10.10, It is somewhat close to its 52-week high of $15.57. And I say somewhat close because you compare that to the 52-week low of (laughs) $0.46. It's done extremely, extremely well. But now I look out to December 2021, I do see estimated earnings per share. Well, there are none. It's estimated to be a loss of $0.15. So it's this whole concept of kind of, is this green energy realm going to take over? How quickly? And I think this one's riding high on it. As I said, I don't know how much higher it can go. I mean, it's very, very far off, that 52-week low. Uh, I, I think you've done well with that. I don't know if I would – actually, I know I, I would sell it, yeah. is what I would do.
1: And, and this is a, another one of these companies. Again, it's in the green energy. They've got no earnings. There's no reason really to hold this company based on the fundamentals. But the hype could take it fifteen, twenty, 15, 20. Who knows where the end could be. The thing is, it could also take it back down. Like, oh, you know, we moved on. That's that's yesterday's news. Now we got this new green company. So uh, again, yeah. you, you've done very well with it. You now have the hard decision: is when do I get out? When it's kind of like the same as when you're playing uh, the roulette wheel, and it keeps coming up black. Comes up black. Comes up black. When's it going to change? And that's what you have here: is uh, there's going to be no ringing bell that tells you time to get out of this company. No fundamentals tell you when. It, it's a guess and. You've done lots well, of gamble.
2: And I, I was going to say, that I, I kind of equate it. I mean, as I said, it goes as high as $15, but there's this company, QuantumScape, and it, it was, all oh, the battery technology and uh, right. the, all these battery technology. I mean, it went as high as $132. I'm talking about QuantumScape. Right. It's now around 58 So yeah. y- you don't want to be on the kind of tail end of the, the excitement. I mean, it, it seems like it went way, way, way up, and it's like, wait a minute. This may be a great company, but what is it really worth? I mean, it's now got a market cap of about $2 billion but they hardly have any revenue. I mean, 2021, and they're estimated to have, I don't know if I'm reading this right, $6 million of revenue. That's not very much. <laughs> yeah, I mean- and I, again, and, and I think what they could be trading on here is that they could have
1: $600 million of revenue, maybe 10 years from now, or the, the one good thing that they, they, they did have a, a, a decent balance sheet, Yeah, but still in all that there's, it's very hard to, to value things like this and, are you a long-term investor, a short-term investor? What do you stand on that, Kalani?
5: Uh, mostly long-term, long-term, but this one, honestly, I was thinking about doing a day trade. And I bought it; it went down, and uh, you know, I I said, "Oh, I'll wait," and it just skyrocketed from a dollar <laughs> something. You know. Just...
1: Yeah. So, it, it, then it, it, it it's like yeah, it so playing Vegas. I mean, I was it, thinking. Yeah.
5: Go ahead. Yeah, I was thinking of selling it. I said it. I, I think I should have just kind of watch it and, and let it go.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and if gotcha. you do that, I mean, we do the same thing. And, it, and it's, it's hard. I mean, you sell something, you look at it later, like, oh, gosh, I shouldn't have sold it. No, you made a good profit. You sold it for a good reason. Uh, and this happens all the time in investing. It happens to us as well that we sell something, you look at it, you know, a month, a year later, like, oh, man, I wish we would have held up, but not really, because sometimes what's important is what you do with those proceeds. If you turn around, you buy a good business that did well over the next year, okay, so maybe maybe you've done slightly better, maybe not as well had you bought something else. So um, I I just think you make the decision to, to move away from this company, sell it, and uh, not look back because it, it could go to 100, you know, but it could also lose
3: yeah. money for you too.
1: righty I think that's a great idea. Thank you, guys. You're welcome. Let me know where you invest the other money. <laughs> okay. Have a good day. Doing, okay, Bye-bye. Hey, you know, Chase, and that is the for for decades. It's always been the hardest part for people. I know when to buy, which they really don't. But they they when things go up, they feel they knew when to buy, but then when to sell. That's the hard part, and that's why our discipline it tells us when to buy, when to sell. But we also realize, and we tell us when people come in for a presentation for us to manage your money, we we will not buy at the absolute bottom nor sell the absolute top, but you can make good returns by investing and not always have this feeling like, oh, but I could have done this. I could have done that. That's, you know,
2: that's the way life is. I mean, as I said, we we don't always sell at the top. That's just not really possible when you invest. And, you know, it is always frustrating, I guess, when you sell something. And even on the show, we get a call and you look at a company and Mm -hmm. it's higher than where we sold it. Yep. Gosh. (laughs) But, you know, you have to look at why did you sell the company? I mean, if it went down to, let's say, just make things simple. Let's say you sold it at 50 and it goes down to 40. You'd be like, I knew it was going right. down. <laughs> but then when it goes higher, it's like, oh, I should have held it. You know, hindsight, yeah. of course, always twenty twenty, 20 And um, it, it just comes down to your strategy, your philosophy. And as you said, too, the other big thing is where did you invest those proceeds? Because one company might have gone from, again, I'll just use 50, from 50 to 55, but you could have sold that at 50 and bought something else that went from 50 to 60 and, and then right. better so uh don't always beat yourself up if you sell too early because it it's far harder to stay to the party too late and then all of a sudden that i think is more frustrating when you hold something and then you think you're gonna sell it and i'm gonna hold it and then it goes lower i think that's more frustrating than selling and, too early
1: you know one thing and i've been in this industry for over 40 years one thing cracks me up is these guys from the industry with these big egos you've been wrong so many times you should not have a big ego it's a very humbling profession because you're you're wrong at at certain times and you have to kind of deal with that and i never got these big egos in the industry because it, they act like they're right every single time when you know that's not the case so i that yeah, was
2: the case it's like your returns would be 200% a year that's,
1: that's just not possible you'd be the richest man in the world yeah. you know and 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 that's why i've always been humbled like and i've made mistakes over my my career doing this but it's just something that it's part of the, the, the job. I mean, and there's no job that you're going to be perfect at every single time. I mean, how many times are trying to get a drug? How many times are they wrong before they get to it? Yeah. Same thing with investing. You're going to be wrong, but you have to know why you're wrong and how to correct the next time. And maybe you weren't wrong. You're, you're wrong for all the right reasons, and that's okay. You know, the stock can go be hype and just keep going up for no reason.
2: Yeah, so. I mean, you can even acquitted sports. You know, Tom Brady, how many games has he lost? How many interceptions has he thrown? Nobody's and he, perfect.
1: And in high school he was terrible, wasn't he?
2: I don't know, I wouldn't say terrible. He still went to Michigan. <laughs> well,
1: yeah. But but I mean he wasn't like the superstars. Nobody suppose. would have thought he yeah. would be who he,
2: is.
5: Who he yeah. is. You know, I never thought I would rather want to talk about Tesla than Tom Brady.
1: But <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying you don't like uh, Tom Brady? No, I can't you don't stand like Tesla. him. He's too good, but
5: I, I mean he's a great athlete, but I can't stand him. <laughs>
1: Well, we we gotta check out what else don't you like here, Brendan? We gotta be careful. Things like about. things with T's. Okay, so, <laughs> so next week, what we'll do? is we'll come up with we'll come up with another topic on Tesla. Yeah, another one on Tom Brady. He'll be going crazy in that room <laughs> no. over there. we
2: are gonna force <laughs> Brendan out of here.
1: He'll <laughs> cut our show short. Like, yeah. really? Has it been two hours already? Like, yeah. yeah, it's been two hours. You guys are out of here. <laughs> so, well, hey, it has a, has been a great show. Uh, again, love doing this show. Uh, Facebook and calls had some great ones today and and, and really help you learned a lot today from what we do and again getting you back your feet on the ground to investing i know this is a difficult time with investing a lot of questions out there we are trying to put together a workshop hopefully it's gonna be the first uh week of april we'd love to see everybody you know come in and, and talk to people
2: yeah, and if you still aren't comfortable to come to a workshop i mean we still do have a webinar on our website so mm-hmm. if you do want to kind of register for that webinar uh, kind of see what we talk about at the workshop, and and find out a little bit more about our philosophy. Again, you go to our website smartinvesting2000.com. Again, that's smartinvesting2000.com, and you'll see it right up there in the top. I think it's the top right-hand corner. It says webinar registration, and you can watch that webinar there. Yep. Perfect,
1: Perfect timing. timing. There's a closing a closing Nailed bell. It. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you for listening to the Smart Investing Show. It is for informational purposes only and should not be used as investment advice. If you'd like to discuss in more detail your investment needs or have other investment questions, feel free to call myself, Brent Wilsey, or Chase Wilsey at 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. And visit our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. A lot of great information there. And for more daily educational information on investment tips, go to our Facebook group page, Smart Investing with Brent and Chase Wilsey. Today's show is sponsored in part by Thomson Reuters Refinitiv. Closing song, My Way, Frank Sinatra, is performed by local entertainer Roman Palacios. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to Smart Investing Show. We'll be back next week. This program is sponsored by
3: Wilsey Asset Management.